Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 322. How's everybody doing? We're here. Woo! We are. And we're on the right side of the daisies. Let's see who we got on the panel today. All right. First up in the upper left-hand corner, we got Marco. Hey, glad to be here. And I see him back in my normal position. Mm Hmm? And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And yours truly. Next up, Patrick Euland. Howdy, everyone. And Coconut Bob. Howdy. Oh, Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And next over, Alan. Howdy, howdy. We're on fire. And David Ladd, who's not on the bottom row this time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Enjoy. Well, we were. Um, <laughs> let's see. Nick Barentes. I uh, Detroit forever. Welcome oh, yeah. to tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Now, now, really, you got to give us those Powerball numbers. <laughs> we really need those this time. <laughs> 16. <laughs> oh, hang on. That, Wait that a minute. Got nothing here. to write with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Next up, uh, Fred. Hello, everyone. Back from vacation and rested and ready to go. Okay. Jason, CocoMan.biz. Hello, hello. Do you have your Diet Dr. Pepper yet? Uh, Ken Waters. No diet, Dr. Pepper, but coffee. Moose juice. <laughs> uh, let's see. On the bottom row, we got Rondell Vaux. Good day from the portal of Ron's Garage in Arizona, where we're and baking outside today. Baking outside on the sidewalk, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and last but not least, Erico. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Where are you, Erico? In Brazil. All right. Okay, let's see. Uh, in the chat, we've got uh, Rick and Marco, David Croker, Brian Walsh, Scott Cooper, Tom Eric Anderson, Alan. Uh, the Steegy Terry, hey, Terry. Yep, see a Jim Mike. Rye out there. Yeah, Mikey, Mark Siegel. Let's see, scroll down. 
That's everybody. Everybody in the chat at the moment. All right. First up, we're going to do uh, project updates and acquisitions and whatnot. Uh, let's see. Um, Ron or Bob? Let Bob go first. Okay. Coconut Bob. What you got for us today? Okay. Let me see here. I'm going to reset this thing real quick. And... I don't know. Some of you guys may remember originally I, I uh, demoed my software, my Color Fog software. And basically, I've been trying to update it a little bit and working on uh, getting it to run with the SDC and just, just function at all, basically. And what I showed back then was uh, a really old version, out of date, and I kind of just wanted to show the latest version and some of the progress I've made with it. But this is still a little beta, and it's just kind of forcing itself to work, and it's not still not reading the SDC itself, but I'm able to read my disks and stuff. Uh, first thing... I'm going to be running from a real floppy drive with uh, the uh, GoTech and the SDC is in there too. So um, drive. this is something that I had to learn was turning the drives off to access the real floppy. Right now, drive two is just under stock basic. There's nothing connected to it. The drive bay is empty. Most people want that to be the second side of drive zero. Okay, so we go there. Um, I think under SDC call. DOS, it'll actually go to DriveWire because isn't two and three hard coded for DriveWire? Yeah, or I think so. only? you can see it there on my on my screen. It's on DriveWire. Uh, Two and three are on drive wire, zero. Uh, yeah, because you, you can't mount uh, disk images on those two drives, which is unfortunate. Right. But, uh, just the way it's set up. But you can use real floppy sides. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I've done there. I've turned off those two, and now I'm going to just run one. Okay. Again, I don't have to. I don't have to switch the drive first. It'll automatically do that. And remember which drive it's run from. Uh, my joystick detection routine isn't really working right now. Let's see if I can find a place to stick the panel here. I have to tuck you guys down in the corner. Nobody puts the panel in the corner. Yep, there we go. Here's a nice spot. I'm used to being in the corner. Hmm. Okay, well, apparently it's crashed. Yes, and you stay there and think about what you did. <laughs> 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 All 
Did we lose Bob's audio? I was just being real quiet, trying to figure oh, out why sorry. I why I crashed my machine. Here we go. <laughs> Be very, very quiet. That's a proper demo when the machine crashes. I think you can see my drive lights here on the physical floppy drive. That's why I'm kind of keeping that image up. So you can see when it's real floppy versus SDC. Even though you can't see my SDC. Anyway. <clears throat> That's kind of a slick looking gooey. All right. So, yeah. So there are those color coded depending on what kind of file it is or, or what yeah basically it uh based on the three letter extension you know, you know i just went through and arbitrarily chose my own color scheme mm -hmm. nice um so, and also like pm4 is a p mode 4 graphic so i can click on that and have a little pop-up menu here it wraps around with the joystick wherever you. Nice. Looks nice. So obviously I'm black and white here because this is VGA. I've got the full color over there, but yeah, a little blown out on camera. Uh, go back. Uh, we have fonts. It's a context sensitive menu that uh, Instead of view for the PMO graphics, it's install for font or something else for basic or binaries, execute, load, whatever. Load fonts on the fly. Classy. Ooh. Sweet. And colorful. Colors are my favorite part of the Cocoa Tree. I like the IBM font here. Yeah, it's probably the one I use the most often in EOU too. Again, I've got my little pie chart here that's showing the free versus used. All I have is uh, basic sector usage right now, but at some point I'm gonna I wanted to add more detail to that and even on like individual files be able to find, you know, information on it, like maybe even get a sector map of where it's stored on the disk. But you can do like copy it to another drive, move it, um, rename, kill. I was going to make an undelete function. I haven't really fleshed that out yet, but I know kind of the concept behind manipulating the file table. Uh, something else that wasn't in the version you guys saw, if you look at my buttons up here, you can see highlighted letters. Those are uh, hotkeys. Hot yep. Okay, cool. So I can hit F1 to get to the help screen. There is a little bit of actual information in there now that wasn't there before. So you can control click drive buttons to remap them. Wow. F1 key actually doing something useful. <laughs> Although it has my old email address on there, that's not good. Are you the Bob or are you the other Bob? I'm definitely the other Bob. Okay. 
Bob, or okay, my other so, brother, Bob. So if I hit, uh, we're looking at drive zero right now. I'm going to hit two, and that should be the other side of my floppy. So those are hotkeys to the, the drive numbers. Now, is that the real sound of the drive, or is that a digital that sound? <laughs> that was, that's the real floppy. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I got an error there. That was formatted earlier. And if I hit one, now I'm getting the go tech. So color fog generator, that's a disk label. I think like ADOS compatible. So you're able to I don't know if I built it in here yet, but you can, it'll read disk labels and I'm sure I made it to where you can label them since I put that label there. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go to, yeah, and the thing with the, with the GoTech, if you click the other side, it's always the same drive regardless. It's like the side select has no no use, no difference. Go ahead. So did you it's say you like can, a hidden file? You can change the background color too. So yeah, we'll go here to setup. And this is like a modular program, so we're completely leaving that program going loading another one off the disk and there are uh, stored variables both on the disk itself and some in memory like in a hidden ram location um this might be a good spot to ask so suppose you load a program using color fire uh, uh i mean i i have haven't really fleshed out that much of it. Like, uh, it's not as smooth as, say, the SDC Explorer, where everything will just work. Some things will work, and some things will just crash. Mm. Um, but I do kind of want to make that a like a little loader module that minimizes itself before loading and executing. Mm. So that's that's kind of a, a future project. Yeah. Okay. So here you can see I can set. Uh, one, two, or three drives. And icon for each drive. I've added a couple of new ones here. So I'm going to put that one there. That's my three and a half. Down here uh, on the last demo, those were squared off buttons. I kind of like these rounded corners now or beveled corners, whatever. But all the buttons have that 3D kind of look and feel to them that get a little trademark fog swatch there to see what the colors would look like um, and apply. Sorry, Tommy. 
like just like the the presets feature and control <laughs> that's too much look like uh commodore there <laughs> not enough brown what does the gray how does the gray look oh yeah I kind of like that one actually. It kind of makes the other colors pop. So now if I hit save, it will go back to fog. If I hit exit, it'll just quit to basic. Right. Wrap around menus here. And is this written in, in basic? This is entirely in basic. Right. Yep. That's pretty good. Ace, it's moving quite fast too, other than being pretty. Mm -hmm. The only thing it's missing is a trash can. I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah. I know a yeah. designer. Can you, you can even get a pre filled trash can. There's a copy of Neutroid already in it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so now you can see my refreshed icons up here. Uh, what oh, you can't yeah. see is normally this was designed for HDB DOS, and there would be a, a hard drive icon up here with some little curly brackets and all the buttons with whatever drives I wanted to look at. I could like map it to any of the uh, oh, yeah. 255 drives. Um, somewhere I have a version that's rigged up that'll show that, but I'm not going to mess with it right now. But I don't know. I guess that's. Most of the uh, the cursor drawing is actually a uh, live draw statement. It's not getting put, although it is. It gets the background, draws the cursor, and then puts the background to erase it. Almost everything in here is draw strings. What are you using for a mouse? It wouldn't be the brick, uh, would it? Oh, the deluxe. Deluxe. You can use the single button mouse and the F2 button will work as uh, the F2 key will work as a second mouse button. Oh, that's good to know. But the program is so designed said, to use the two two mouse buttons, both of them, right? Yeah, so if I like, oh, and I almost forgot to even show the, the coolest thing. But yeah, if I uh, right click on this, uh, that doesn't do anything. If I just click it, it pulls up the menu. No, I don't want to kill that. Um, so does it feel right click is used. Does it feel weird to you to have the cover on the com the computer? <laughs> uh, it feels weird to have it off, but I have to have it off on this particular machine because it's not the stock uh, socket on there, and my yeah. MP3 doesn't make a good connection with the lid on on this machine. Yeah, Paul Barton was a big advocate of uh, having his cover off, too. <laughs> At the very least, every Coke owner should not have screws in their case. That's what I'm kind <laughs> right, of gathering. Right. So this was uh, actually one of the last things that I made for this that's pretty cool. If I hold down Control, I can click a file here. Here. Go in alphabetical order. My little button up here says list five files selected. Oh, so you're multi selecting files this way? Yeah, so now I've got seven files selected, basically all those fonts. 
and if I click that, I get something called group. And if I select group, I'm going to hit escape first, and I'll just hit list so you can see what that button does, because that becomes an actual button. So that just lists the actual files that I selected. I can't do anything there. I just have to uh, click to get back out. They're still selected, though, with that button. If I hit group, so I can I can copy those to another drive as a group, or I can move them or delete them. That's huge. If, nice. if I hit group, it'll let me make a file called a, a dot .fog file. And, uh, I'll just call this forms. You're going to add oh. some sort of a visual indicator as to which files are selected? Uh, I want to do that, but it was a little tricky at the time. I'm somewhat restricted on my palette here. I'm thinking maybe just put an asterisk. Yeah, maybe. Each one. Or, or just draw an outline around each file that's selected or something. Yeah. Little arrow. On the or, side of it as or invert them or something, like inverse the text, like do a knot or something. Well, let me so, ask you something. You, you just said before that uh, the majority of your graphics are being drawn with the draw common. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, all of them. Oh man, that's that's pretty great, and and it's 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 incredibly fast. How are you well, dealing the? Uh, how are you copying the background for the the mouse? Uh, the kind of alpha you so get the, there. The mouse, I uh, actually, if if the curse if the mouse is moved, it gets the background of the new position, and then I H draw the mouse itself, and then it just stays there until the mouse moves again, at which point it will H put that background and redraw right. and go to the new position. So that's why it's pretty—it's pretty smooth motion for basic. You know? I see. Yes, I'm impressive. It doesn't just sit there and flicker when I'm not doing anything. If I'm moving slow, it's nice and steady, and if I move, move fast, it'll it'll jump. But and are you planning on supporting the high-res interface too at some point, or or do you need yeah, it for this actually, program? Yeah, uh, actually that was actually intended. I have the file. For it, but I'm not sure. You know, it's a little rusty up here, and I don't remember how to implement it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. Yes, I have, I have the high-res interface sitting here, plugged in. So and like these square buttons here, that's a single draw command, and I just use the angle function to flip it over for the like it's a 3D press. Oh, I shouldn't have clicked that button. Anyway. <laughs> But the, the pie chart does the same thing. Excellent. What does FOG stands for again? So for the overall program, it's uh, File Operations GUI. Oh, OK. And then. The fog file itself. Oh, there's the fog file that I saved when I selected those. That one stands for File Operations Group. 
So how, how when did you first uh, create this? Uh, I started around 2002. I think the last time I worked on it was 2004 before I pulled this all out of storage and uh, started again just this past year. If I click on the, the pie chart here, it also has that 3D kind of press look. And again, it's just the angle. Angle come in, draws the outer board outline, and then everything is filled in. So that's about all I got on this. I just wanted to show off a little bit of progress and that it's still being worked on. Great, good. Kind of if it's if it's something that people are interested in, you know. If if nothing else, it's some some good examples of. Uh, how to do some really efficient basic coding. I did put a whole lot of time into uh, making it fast and smooth. What's that? What size is your um, main file for Fog? Um, let's see. I'm gonna I'll do a reset and load it in and calculate. B-A-Z. <laughs> That's intentional. Oh. Bass is the loader. B-A-Z is the, the main module. Okay. It, yeah. You have to go through mm. the loader to get the environment set up. Okay. Mm -hmm. 22 minus 6 for 16 about 16k mm -hmm. about that very nice it reminds uh, if I'm getting this right but it, it reminds me a little bit on the it reminds of uh, you know directory opals on the Amiga kind of has that feeling to me mm -hmm. the whole thing Yeah, I think you're right, Erico. That does seem a little bit like Opus. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty Basically, great. This right? was, yeah. yeah. There's again, it was my uh, my attempt to make it easier to use, you know, both sides of my floppy drives hmm. for file management and, and HDD DOS. Well, seems to be so coming up. At some point, I will get my... Yeah, I have my HDD hard drives still but i need to get that system up and running i need to get my hard drive adapter connected to the board somehow that's all i got thanks guys oh you did good very nice nice yeah thank you let us know when you're finished <laughs> it's never you're finished you mean the presentation of the program itself, oh, Ron? When it's <laughs> when it's done, ready to to play with, yeah. To, to have copy <laughs> sessions. When I, when I feel <laughs> another another comfortable release date, yeah. It's ready for distribution. 
Okay, uh, let's see. Erico, you want to go up next? At me? Yes, I can. No. That, can I that's an Australian, uh, Alan, <laughs> that's a, an Australian program, that. When, uh, before I share the screen here, uh, just like to say a few words. Uh, I, I'm a little bit behind on the coconation these days. A lot of busy stuff going on here on, on a life part of things. So uh, at last coconation chapter, uh, I heard you guys were talking about uh, UG Basic, and we have that side of Discord where we talk a little bit about it. So I thought to come over here today and uh, show some of the testings I've been doing. Unfortunately, I don't have them already here. It's been a few months. I didn't have time to to work it out, but I can share uh, can share show a few things to you, to you guys. Uh, first, uh, the the UG basic thing. I think I stumbled into it a couple of years ago when it was uh, its very first begin. It was on its very early stage of development. It was supporting some of the platforms, not the Dragon, not the Color Computer. And I think I stumbled into it while I was uh, doing some experimentations with MPAGD, which is uh, it's a pretty competent uh, game engine, right? You, you guys know about it. And uh, it has support for the color computer. It's, um, how can I say, it's very strict in, in its engine form, but it's capable. And uh, it has, it has a, a sort of a script language in BASIC. So if you guys know BASIC, you can jump into MPHD pretty much right away. It's a little bit complicated to get the, the things going, right, the MPHD. And uh, the, the way the thing is structured is, is very, um, how can you say, it's, it's uh, ICE. It's, it's, um, it's a little, it's not a language, right? It's just scripts. So I was looking for an alternative, something like a modern BASIC. I stumbled into UG BASIC. And realize that it wasn't for uh, ready for the Coco or the Dragon at the time. Some years later, I think last year, I stumbled into, into it again, and I found out it was supporting the Dragon. Well, if it's supporting the Dragon, it should support the Coco easily. So I started doing some uh, tests with it, found it quite capable to, uh, to reach some of the results I wanted. So, uh, well, and then uh, we know the story. Uh, we tried to bring the guy, uh, Marco, into Discord and into our community and see if he could uh, support the color computer. And today the, the color computer is supported and things is ongoing. So what can I tell you guys about it? It's uh, the basic you have in EUG basic is not, uh, it's not disk extended color basic. It has nothing to do with it. It's just a complete, a different language, right? So uh, in my case, from basic on the color computer, uh, I can't expect the same kind of functionality, right? So I had to take a look at everything back again and see uh, how things work out. And uh, to my surprise, it's uh, pretty capable on the form it currently is. Um, there are some problems here and there. It's an evolving, it's working progress project. So it's the kind of thing that you expect to keep uh, version control if you are doing uh, some serious stuff with it because you know next update can break something can fix something break another so it's uh, it's this kind of tool right you have to uh follow it and keep your version going and uh, i'd like to show you guys some of the tests i did with it let me share the screen here all right can you see this uh, hugely 
Can you guys see this this whole mess here? Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, the one snippet I could find out here is uh, let me start here the, from this part here. If there's one thing I believe uh, color computer users should be able to do is graphic adventures, right? It's one of the hallmarks type of games on the color computer, and um, everyone who enjoys it should be able to do one. And it's a, a if you're going to do a high resolution uh, Coco Two adventure like Mark Data once, uh, it, it's really difficult to do it in basic, right? It's 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 very complicated to keep uh, to to load the graphics or to have the graphics in code. It takes a lot of space, and even to display the graphics is something uh, a little complicated. Now, if you if you know uh, assembler or this kind of stuff, you sure, or you can have access to the disk and you know how to work disk systems, then it's a little bit easier. But still, it's uh, it's a challenge. So uh, my first intention with the UG Basic was to uh, to test since uh, the sound is not in, uh, some of the things are not in yet. I thought that uh, an adventure would be a good uh, testing ground uh, to see how things are going. So uh, I took time to to look at SeaQuest. Right, you guys know this game, right? Yeah, Mark Data Products. Let me see here. Here's some. Uh, so I took the time to map, right? The thing I took the uh, I took uh, the 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 map somebody did on the Coco Archive, right? With the uh, with the locations. So here you have. Uh, it's pretty interesting to see to see a color computer adventure, you know, in a spatial, you know, kind of isometrical way like this gives a uh, such a different perspective on these games. At some point, I would like to do a Vortex Factor one, but uh, I have a better one here. This is this has image, right? So this one here is Flip It, and has the images, right? So uh, looking here, you can uh, pretty much see how or get an idea on how how the game was uh, kind of tiled, right? To, to take advantage to, to use lad space and take advantage of recycling graphics so uh, you can pretty much see that uh, the, the shore here is almost the same graphics right and then the oceans pretty much similar the island is uh, the same as the shore but without the mountains and the sea is pretty much um, all blue right and you have some uh, the, the inland here is uh, sort of similar to so you can get an idea how to tile this this kind of graphics to produce um, more locations than uh, than holding the whole screen right holding holding a, a screen like this is very expensive on the card computer so I thought uh, why not give it a try on uh, doing some exercise with this and uh, you guys probably know I have this uh, the system here for creating the Pmode 4 artifact colors. The NTSC is pretty much complete. I still have to take a look at the NTSC part. I have to meet with uh, Luciano to run some tests and capture the Brazilian colors. The Brazilian colors, uh, I think there are a few more colors and the the Brazilian POEM does not uh, ramp colors as the NTSC, right? You have set of blues and set of yellows. Uh, Brazilian colors are a little bit different than this. But uh, from here, I... Uh, I drew, I drew locations inspired by, inspired by Sea Quest. Here's one of them, right? And uh, the way this system goes or works is that you draw using these colors here only. You draw on this region here, 
and then you press uh, this this macro system I built. If you if you take a look up here, you're gonna see there's a folder that says colors, and it's full of uh, patterns, right? So it, it picks up uh, those colors, substitute for the black and white uh, pattern of the NTSC, and also substitute for substitute it with a, a a sort of a preview. So if I press F5 here, it goes on doing a little bit of work, exchanging each of the colors and at the end, it shows me, uh, let me get this bigger here. It shows me the uh, the intended graphics. So the the part you, you see here on the right is the part you're going to send to the color computer. And what you see on the left here is what uh, the colors are supposed to, to be. Now, I think you guys have seen this before, right? So I use this system to to create some of the locations. I think I have some of them here. This is one, this is another. Uh, pretty much this is the, the, the pier. Is that it, that pier where the boat is located? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the part with the rock, the Abratzazamo rock, um, some general place, the waterfall. And uh, here are some uh, pieces, right? Uh, at some point I, broke this image into tiles so I could attempt to recycle them and get uh, get more images into one into, you know it's one go into one code here are more of the beats and the parts right the waterfall it, it's sort of a, like a poor man's uh, compression technique right if uh, if we get people with a higher level of compression understanding we sure can put a lot more image than I can but this is a, a simple way to attempt to to recreate those images or create new stuff. It, it kind of reminds me of Bjork blocks, the uh, Steve Bjork did, where you have these eight by eight tiles, and that's how it does its compression. You create all these different tiles, mm -hmm. and you just tell them to mix them together. I, I so, pretty much believe if it's a split into eight by eight, I could probably get a better performance than those bigger blocks I did. Say, so Patrick, this. This might be useful to me um, in my efforts to make Andark three, because um, hmm. I'm, I'm I'm struggling right now with the basically most of most of what's left to do in the game is creating the graphics for each of the rooms, and hmm. I've been kind of struggling with that. This might be useful. It, it was exactly made for that reason because yeah. uh, the only way there, there are only two ways I can draw on the color computer by myself if I want artifact colors in P mode form. That is either I draw using uh, one of the programs like Cocomax, mm -hmm. but then I don't have I don't have the knowledge to extract that information into a basic game. And I'm a basic guy. I don't I don't know how to do anything else. So uh, I needed to find uh, another way other than drawing directly in basic, drawing with zero yeah. and ones and data tables. So I came up with this solution. So it, it's made exactly for what you just said, creating P mode for graphics in an easy fashion. Uh, yeah. If it's, uh, if See, using sure. like CocoMax or something, the resulting files are just too big. <laughs> and mm. uh, with the, the number of rooms that I have in the game, it, it would just be an insane amount of... Uh, um, discs that, that would be taken up by all these graphic images, but this might be a way of compressing what, things. Uh, what is uh, what is the uh, 
the what what are the size the size of your of the the graphical area where the the room is displayed um yeah the graphics you, you yeah need. What's it's the, uh sorry. it's uh 320 by 100. oh you need to use coco 3, 3 then right yeah i'm using a coco 3 yeah uh, but uh like uh well it's uh probably for the color computer tree i'm not sure if this is gonna benefit oh, it's, it's pretty okay much for, so this uh, is mainly for the coco 2. Um, yep now, if you want to do graphics for the color computer tree, you can pretty much uh, directly use any kind of uh, paint package. Uh, anyone yeah. will do, and you don't need Photoshop. You need you probably go. Mm -hmm. You can be can use a, a, a more color Pixel max wall. three or color max three deluxe or Coco yeah. max three. They yeah, do have some file compression built in, but not not in a tiled fashion. It's just doing. Yeah. Horizontal compression. Well, I think Coco max well, is at, vertical. At, but... at the very least, I could maybe. Um, maybe use some of the similar techniques that you're using here, um, I might be able to uh, employ, um, if not the program itself, then at least the techniques I might be able to. Uh, yeah, like the tile base, yeah. like if, you, if your graphic backgrounds can be kind of tile, uh, tileized, yeah. is that a word? Like Nintendo games and stuff where then you you could do the go through with, with H. I think bumpers. I I think I could, yeah. I, that's a good idea. I didn't think of tiling. Um, that like gem gem quest on on uh, EOU that that uses tiles basically draw all of its backgrounds like ladders yeah. and lava pits and all that kind of stuff so right there are some, yeah uh, but at the very least this gives me inspiration to uh you know think of some other ways to make things more efficient if you there there are some pixel art programs out there uh, they they are pixel art programs and uh tile map programs uh, on the same stuff and they're free, open and accessible. And uh, I kind of use them when designing things for the ZX Spectrum. It's uh, pretty much a bunch of uh, drawing is drawing with a bunch of eight by eight tiles. So I pretty much construct everything into these programs before I go into say MPHD and he uh, create those titles and then reassemble the image. It's a little bit, a lot of work, but it's it's, it's one solution I found to do it. But, oh, well, the point about this system here, which should be released at any time this year, for God's sake, is that I've created this, uh, this images and here's UG Basic. So uh, this is a little test program. It just uh, load those images. This is the good thing about uh, YouTube Basic. I can directly load a PNG containing those black and white graphics I can export from this system. And I can uh, put them on screen with a single command. Now, uh, here, you're going to see a whole bunch of uh, four next loops and whatnot, because here I am already uh, creating, I'm working with the blocks, right? Not with the full images. So the, the things you see, right, the things you see up here, uh, part one, part two, part three, are the parts that compose uh, the, the C side of Sea Quest, the ones I, hit, I redrew. And uh, these parts here, they assemble those parts, right? So if I uh, execute this program, it's just that, uh, let me see here. If I execute this, all right, gets, here, let's just get some some of the artifacts going on. And let's get this a little bit bigger. I got a, 
mess with the setup here at some point. So here it is. I didn't clear the rest of the screens, just the graphics on top. So uh, here's the first one, and then I move to the other. It's pretty fast, pasting those graphics. Here's another one. I'm using the arrow keys as uh, as north, south, east, west. So I can more or less uh, walk around, right? There's a little bit of green here, but pulling out this green is really hard if it's just a little part. And that's pretty much it. So uh, the thing is that it works. Um, and But it's uh, UG Basic is a lot different than than what we have on Disk Extended Color Basic. One interesting thing here, which is what I'm currently going to research pretty soon, is about the size. You see, this short code here, with this this bunch of image takes, a, it's taking, let's see which one here, is this one here? Uh, bus. Yes, this binary here is at 8K, right? Uh, the majority of these 8K is because of the graphics, but what I've realized it, uh, these days is that the cost for commons in YouTube Basic is very expensive, a lot more expensive than disk extended color basic. See, uh, that uh, that that lending game I was creating with draw common, it's taking almost the 22K available in disk extended color basic. And there is a lot of code there. There's a lot of logic and there's a lot going on. And uh, within my, my tests with UG Basic, I've realized that, that the commons do take, uh, they are expensive. So you have to take care uh, about that. You, you quickly run through memory by using commons. Now, what I heard from Marco, I'm not sure if I had this here, but uh, going on here, let me see. He implemented a system that gives me information about the scope and tells me how much uh, each of these lines, uh, each of these commons, how much they are costing in memory. And uh, he showed me a way that I can, because see, while I enjoy the MSX and the ZDEX spectrum for this kind of uh, isomorphic language, my goal is to use this for color computer. And that's it. It's, it's like I want to use it as a, a kind of like a deluxe compiler, right? So he was telling me that uh, some of these commands can be uh, edited and you can make them a lot shorter because they are caring for all of the machines. So we can go there and strip the part of the other machines and keep it color computer only if we are looking for a lot of spaces. Uh, what else I can tell you about UG Basic? Uh, print command is not as versatile as the print command on this basic. This basic has a very fast and versatile print command. You're not going to see it here. Printing the characters in UG Basic, you're not going to get the semi-graphics. But the good side of things that you have alternatives, you can peek and poke. So you can, um, you can poke the semi-graphics directly on screen. Right, and it's blazing fast, even faster than the print common in in uh, traditional basic. And uh, what else can I tell you? Sound is not there yet, but it seems like he's about to add uh, a Zach common. Therefore, we can get to the sound uh, the the sound commands from the ROM directly on the color computer, so we can generate sounds that way. See, for example, the joystick command had problems. It didn't read the second joystick. It didn't read the button. We know the joystick button in color computer is not uh, uh, standard as the other computers, right? It's something unique. 
So it has something to do with the keyboard, if I'm not wrong about it. So uh, you can you can use pick and poke to directly access the, the same routine of picks and pokes I use for that fight game. I can get it into the UG Basic and it will read the joysticks, both joysticks perfectly. So there are this there are this things. The commands are not exactly the same. They don't perform the same. They cost different memory-wise, but you always have a way to go around as long as you have access to the ROM, right? So it's pretty capable. It's a pretty capable language so far. And I believe uh, that we can uh, create a test adventure game at some point. I mean, this is, it, it's just about drawing, right? Setting up a scene and and he creating something like that. So uh, what do you guys think of it? Good. It looks promising. Uh, well, do you know if he has any plans for Coco 3 extensions too at some point or? Well, he uh, he mentioned, uh, I, I, I saw, I mean, he mentioned about, and he mentioned the color computer tree, but uh, it's, uh, I mean, from the Dragon to the Coco 1, 2, it's something uh, easier than, uh, it kind of feels to me that the color computer tree is a, is a very different beast. It, it will require <laughs> a lot of attention, you know, to, to work out the, the game and all those uh, peculiarities. So he said he wants to do it, but uh, we'll have to see how, how that's going to go. So did you guys try it? Did anyone uh, give it a go? I haven't had a chance to yet, no. Um, I don't know. Hmm. We have Alan, if anybody else has had a chance to try it yet or... Yeah, I've started getting it set up, but I haven't got any code that I've put together in it. I'm still trying to get around and get the fundamentals of the language. It's pretty much basic. If you if you know if you if you already do stuff with basic, you you were going to you're yeah, going you to, just you're have going to go to through that big long more. page with all the commands on it and make sure you get all the little pieces. Mm -hmm. Most of those, most of those comments on the, on the, and, and, it, and I mean, the manual is not really complete, right? The manual was still under the, under production. Some of the comments, uh, especially some that are important uh, to me, they are not well documented yet. So it's the kind of thing like, a, you know, a little, an evolving language kind of like, it's hard for them to keep the documentation going on. It's best for them to work on the language. But then, yeah, uh, tell me about like it. This, <laughs> <laughs> users of very, very true. It's complicated. Uh, I know I've seen some different ways of pasting images on screen. Like uh, currently, there are different ways to to put image on screen. The the command I'm using here, put image, it uh, it requires it to be uh, on the byte boundary, right? So I cannot put uh, use this put image as a sprite comment, right? But uh, I can move this put image vertically per pixel, but horizontally, I have to move it eight by eight. But then again, it's not a problem because uh, let's say we want to do uh, uh, Prince of Persia, right? Uh, the, the character has a set of animation and he's always standing on certain locations, which are eight by eight places. So you create a whole bunch of animations, kind of like uh, hard-coded uh, sprites, right? It, it moves. And then uh, after it animates, it's already on the on the other part of the you know the eight pixels. So it's it's possible to go around. There are some other uh, pasting comments, but I I didn't try anything. Um, the only graphical things I've tried with it so far is this. I've tried semi graphics. It's blazing fast using pick and poke. 
and uh, uh, currently I am going to investigate the cost of uh, common, the cost of logic, right? Create simple, uh, get some of the code I have in disk extended basic and port it to here just to see how much this is going to cost, right? And how, how that's, uh, so, so that I can scale how, how much program I can put into the available memory. And I think one of the last things uh, would be that would be great to have here is the ability to load external files or load external executables, which I believe it's something he's working these days. I haven't checked it yet. You know, like adding machine language, inline machine language and all that. Well, does he allow the carrying of images if you go between programs? So let's say you have one program because you said you're running low in memory in cases. If you have one program that loads all of these tiles, and then it runs another program that actually has the text adventure part of the game. And that other stuff's already preloaded from the previous one. So you don't need the code there that's doing it. Can you chain yes, programs that, together like that? I think that's exactly the, the part he's working right now by uh, allowing that uh, inserting of a assembler game, assembler uh, code, Osm code into it. And he's doing this uh, executing other parts other codes, other uh, code that wasn't done with UG Basic. I think he's just uh, doing this part these days. It's just that I'm not really, I haven't tried that yet. I just read about it. Because I know I one of the, next, um, I, I know Jim Hollis, who's been fiddling with Graph Express, which is a Coco 3 uh, specific language extension that has sprites and multiple windows and tiling and multi voice music and all that kind of stuff built in that you can call from Basic. But it I takes see. a fair bit of memory too, and you you got like maybe twelve, thirteen k left for your basic program. But you can actually tell it to like preload images and maybe a song, or whatever on the launch program, and then it does a run from there of the actual game program, and you don't have to keep all that stuff, all, hmm. all the code that generated it in memory. You go onto the game, but the assets are already loaded, like the graphics pages are already loaded, the tiles are already loaded, etc. Uh, that's uh, that's probably going to be possible as far as uh, as far as what I read. Uh, what I was personally looking at is uh, the the kind of thing, kind of functionality I have going with the fight with the semi-graphic fight game, right? I have um, like one, uh, two or three stages into the 22k in basic, and uh, as you get to the as, as you get to the end of it, I get some I get the two important variables into the cassette buffer, and I perform a load a load. Uh, a load R, right? Yeah. So it automatically and runs after it loads. So it cleans the last program, loads the last bit from disk, and executes it. And that right at the start of this second, third, fourth, and whatever, uh, how many, as many as I want, it checks these two variables to know what is going, where it should be, and and get the memory, uh, the the energy of the player, and it goes on. So even if you run the second or third or fourth part by itself, it's going to detect it's not supposed to be there and uh, re-execute the first part. So in, in that fashion, I can almost have an eternal, I mean, I can have an eternal game. As long as there's disk space, I, I can have it going, right? So uh, it's this kind of functionality I would like to see here, a way to say load another executable and uh, pass some variables to this other executable. And it seems to be going that way. Let's hope. Let's hope it works. Cool. I was going to add, yeah. uh, I first compiled the UG Basic uh, when it first got, got available for the Cocoa, and I noticed that there's a big examples folder with lots of basic in it. 
most of them, the simpler ones that are text seem to work fine for the Cocoa. And I tried just cross compiling them for some of the other platforms to see if they would work. But some of the more complex ones are not really targeted to Cocoa yet. But so in addition mm -hmm. to the documentation, you can you know use the examples to see how the code works. Hmm. Yeah, the, doc the documentation currently doesn't help much. It gives you an idea of what goes on. Some of the commands are marked or uh, working and not working. There's a lot of hidden commands which are not on the documentations, neither on the examples. Uh, sometimes they, uh, when, when Marco or somebody else from their Facebook group posts uh, code, use pod commands doing something that are not available anywhere. So this part is uh, more or less a work in progress. And, uh, and and yes, there is this problem. Most of the, uh, I didn't try many of the examples. I I kind of approached it into, uh, I want to do semi-graphics. And I was looking into a way using print common, characters, didn't find it, tried people. So uh, my approach to it was uh, from what I, I, I didn't even take time to look at. I think I ran one example and it didn't run correctly. I think it was one of those more complex ones. But you did, you did compile it in a Linux box, didn't you? Yeah, I compiled it from source because the, um, the uh, executables we had for Linux uh, required a newer version of glib than my system has. So mm -hmm. I had to, uh, originally I had to dial on a new vi version of Bison and I think Flex in order to get to compile. He's now including Flex and Bison as part of his actual package. Um, and I was able to compile it this last week um, with only just uh, the uh, auto make, I guess it wasn't need to be updated. Um, but there's still something wrong with I can't get the Z80 compiler to work, but I did get the uh, CC65 oh. and, the, uh, and the ASM6809 to work. So I've been able to generate um, compilers for Commodore 64 and the C128 and the Cocoa and the Dragon. Well, being, being able to compile for the color computer is the most important part. The rest of course. Works. <laughs> but, but I also, uh, I also have Commodores too, so, you know. Oh, nice. It's interesting that uh, I would have no idea how to do what you just said, how to get the source and run it from a Linux box. I'd have no idea how to do that. That's uh, nice work. I'm still kind of new to this too, but <clears throat> a couple of years ago, I didn't want to go to Windows 10, so I installed Ubuntu Linux and I've been using it daily now. So I'm pretty getting pretty oh, nice. good with it. All right, and uh, this is what I, I wanted to show you guys. I think I have uh, done some examples with double dragon, double dragon image before. I've, I've made some, I split some characters from double dragon to try to uh, create little animations going about to see how fast the uh, YouTube basic could paste this stuff. But uh, I'm pretty confident of, at this point of some sort of uh, some sort of game, either semi graphics or uh, graphic uh, P-Mode for graphic adventure game can be done. So uh, I'll probably take a look at it at some point, but I am going to finish the uh, the the disk extended basic games I have going on. The uh, the Lander game is like almost complete, and um, I'm either I'm either now either I'm either going to put the finished touches into that, or I'm gonna give a go on Tim Lindner's uh, 64K basic. Right, you guys remember that? Squanchy Basic, I think he called it or something. Exactly, Squanchy Basic. Um, <laughs> I'm tempted to give that a try. The lander game could really use more on the adventure side when you land. And there's just no more space for that. 
And uh, if I use his Quantry Basic, I'm pretty, and I'm not using anything weird in that that game. There's no pokes uh, and exacts. It's just standard, disk extended color basics. So his Quantry Basic should be an excellent call. And uh, creating a 64k basic game is, is something nice, right? That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. But when you get I mean, either of those projects uh, to the point of demoing it, kind of come back on for sure and and, and give right, us uh, right. give us a demo. All right. Uh, well, hopefully this this semester is going to be easier on my side, and I hope to be around more often and be following up uh, everything that's going on more closely. Cool. Now, that that uh, might that, that that basic actually looks pretty interesting now that you've actually given a demo and shown some sample source code. And as you yeah, said, it's cool. a work in progress, so he keeps adding more stuff to it. So. Hopefully, I can uh, generate some uh, some more little examples that are directly Coco related only, and uh, I'll try to share it on the Facebook and Discord, see if people can pick it up. Because it seems to me that this can provide uh, for those who are not experienced enough on the hardware and assembler and all that. This could provide uh, an entrance to create, uh, you know, to create games in in a more easier easier fashion. So. If we can get people involved in who are interested into it, it can be cool. I've been talking with uh, Brazilian uh, friends here where we are looking into uh, creating some of these adventures too with uh, Mauricio Machi, Luciano Schaff. We've been talking about uh, doing some stuff with it at some point. But we'll see. I'll keep you guys informed. Very hey, cool. cool. Thanks. I just want to have one question for you. Um, is the language... Uh, a problem when you're doing basic i mean uh you mean uh you mean the uh what what language you mean the the basic itself or the english because, because you, you you don't you don't speak um english all the time right mm, it's pretty I good guess, <laughs> i guess the majority the majority of the time is uh i, I pretty much work with uh, foreigners people from germany australia different places so uh, English is something I'm constantly reading or writing. So I'm pretty comfortable with it. And uh, okay. color computer, um, Mark Data Product taught me English, tell you the truth. <laughs> it's because well, of those games uh, I got into it. Well, so language is fine. A lot of us here are kind of spoiled. You know, we just speak English from birth and we don't, you know, have anything else in our mind. But, I mean, you have a lot of translation going on sometimes. You know, and I suppose that'd be a, a, you know, a little bit more to think about. No, it's a, it's a clear, it's a straight, it's a automatic. Uh, most of the computer stuff I do is in English. I learned English because of the color computer, and uh, it, uh, and I tell you, uh, while while our local language here, Portuguese, is uh, is nice for a whole bunch of stuff, and it's my native language. It's a complicated language. It's uh, difficult. So uh, I find myself, uh, it's easier for me to even write in English, to <laughs> writing in Portuguese. I mean, if it's poetry or something like that, it works fine. But anything technical or very objective, it's usually better to get uh, into English. And basic language is very objective. So it works out fine. Calculation. Oh, sorry. The only, sorry. The only the only problem is calculations, right? I'm still, uh, I do calculations in my mind um still on my own language on native language it's hard for me to calculate uh, in english but the language itself is fine okay um, 
just so happens my son is learning Portuguese uh, in school, and so uh, he's finding it pretty fun. Um, yeah, and his teachers are his teachers are Brazilian, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. It's nice language, but uh, for computers, we uh, I mean, all the language, all the computer languages are are English, right? Yeah. Yeah, most of them for sure. Yeah, in English is my second language. My first one is is assembly. <laughs> uh, we can well see. <laughs> Speaking assembly since birth. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> He's just got to unlearn Neutroid language and he'll be fine. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, remember he started in Z80. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Worked his way up. That baby talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Coconut Bob's screen has got me kind of hypnotized. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay uh, let's see next up we have a Take it away, Ron. Okay. Let's see. Sure sound, right? Okay. Mm. Am I up? Yep. You are up. Yep. Right. Uh, looks like VCF West put an ad here. I was thinking of going, but it's a long drive, so I'm not going. <laughs> I'm anyway. sorry I didn't go to the southwest one yeah had a lot of uh candy stuff in it this where is, is the, uh, where is the southwest one by by the way dallas Somewhere fort worth is dallas it? area and yes. yeah. yeah, right okay. the next one's san francisco right area yeah. that's the one that's this weekend that's, isn't it yeah or next weekend or something mountain that's view that's that's yeah. more doable i could drive there i've driven to san francisco before yeah anyway this is Vocal Freedom. I had a disc with, uh, said Vocal Freedom backup copy. I threw it in, tried it out. This is running from disc. And, uh, Vocal Freedom, the ultimate power in speech and sound. Can barely hear it. Wow. Yeah, this was a digitization program for the Coco 3 by Dr. Preble's programs, uh, written by a guy who actually was Dr. Preble. Is it Preble? I always pronounced it Preble, but I don't know. Preble. I, I think when I, I I did talk to him back at Rainbow Fest one year, and I think it was Preble, but honestly, my memory's kind of faint on it, so maybe I'm wrong. But if you were in the Coco 1 and 2 area, he was quite famous for doing VDOS, the virtual DOS that could run off cassette and use 64K to give yourself a small virtual drive. So it says wow. to study the programs and you can do your own stuff. But I thought it was yeah, cool. that was a Coco Three only one. It actually did pretty good digitization, so you could play, you know, music clips or voice or sound effects or whatever you wanted. See, there's some stuff in here um, that'll make you a, a digitized sample, I guess. But anyway, um, so I'm going through a lot of my uh, diskettes, and that was one that came up. But it, you know, it. it Already happened to be on my uh, 
SDC. So I, I ran it on the SDC and man, the SDC is so much faster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so much faster. I did, um, I gathered together some of my uh, files that I've scanned over the, you know, high color All images right. on the cocoa. Just For the because, moon landing uh, day. Yes, yeah, yeah. the 54th anniversary. And um, there's a program you can go to. It's it's called um, Apollo 11. You know, it's like live as it's happening. Um, and I have it on my um, uh, my own. There is a PlayStation VR recreation of the entire Apollo 11 mission as well, where you ride in the side seat and you can like watch Earth falling away and things like that. Yeah. Um, this is it. It's called uh, As It Ha... No, it's not it. Uh, oh, that was a heck of a rainbow. Pretty. Yeah, that that's <laughs> what a real one looked This is uh, where I lived when uh, Apollo 11 landed in... Um, Rochester, New York. That was our home. And this is the TV oh. we watched it on. Wow. That's the round Randy. tube. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ron, did you do the same mistake my parents did? They tried to take a picture of the Apollo landing on their TV with a flash on the camera so all you see is a white glare and you can't see nope. the landing I, at all? I, I, did, I didn't even consider that. I, I did record it on three-inch uh, discs. Mm. You know, It wouldn't have mattered because it was upside down and backwards. And yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, let's see if you can Hang on a second. I can show you the program. Mm, where is it? Oh, it's right here. Right here. It's called Apollo 11 in real time. And actually, the um, the thing that would be still be happening. And so you can hear um, uh, now what's actually going on. Minutes. Minutes. We're now about uh, 49 minutes Isn't that cool? away from the first That's mid-course nice. correction it's on like this way uh, trans-earth uh, leg of the computer. Apollo 11 flight. <laughs> it has nothing to and do that with maneuver it. I thought it was cool. will be a uh, 4.8 foot per second burn of the spacecraft reaction control mm-hmm. system thrusters. Doesn't it sound spacey? And is scheduled <laughs> to occur at a ground well, elapse it time. has a lot to do with my lander game. Sure. That's very inspiring. <laughs> yeah. that's that's pretty cool. there. there you go. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I should check it out. <clears throat> I All think right. uh, the the first lander games were pretty much text uh, text games, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. They're, very so they're, ones, pre- yeah. they're pretty. They're pretty similar to that. To that kind of uh, no audio, of course, but uh, just see the numbers. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. I burned yeah, some teletype cool. paper playing Luna. I- yeah. I remember those games uh, black, like from like 1980 or so. It's they were all text <laughs> games, right? So right, the, vertical descent, four point seven three eight nine two four zero. Like, yeah, the computer would tell you like how high above the uh, ground you were and what your velocity was and so on. And you had to type in like uh, you know how much uh, additional thruster to give it or something, and then it would update. And yeah, yeah, they those were, were the days. <laughs> they, <laughs> they were, were crazy. they were. And Matt, they were even turn based, right? You, you, they were turn based. You would type in oh, the yeah. numbers and yeah, yeah, they would yep. be. Right. So yeah, Creative Computing like published a couple of those generic basic books for multiple platforms that uh, had a couple of those Lunar Lander games, and I remember trying back. They were published yeah, in the late seventies. I have a book of one games of, like that. Yeah, one of the old HP. Marvels. One of the old HP uh, Region Ten time sharing games was Luna in seventy four. And it was the, you know, type in the pounds of thrust you want to do for the next second. And... 
Well, uh, this here is um, what the p- current prices are of a uh, Coco Two, right? Online, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I want, I want a Coco Two that could actually do those colors. <laughs> Don't they? Oh. <laughs> That's, That's artistic license, Nick. <laughs> there seems to be a little bit more color in that screen. That's uh, f- fake advertising. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. uh, um, high color too, and um, Coco VGA VG6 image um, really came out pretty good. Yes, Coco VGA is something that I, I really, I'm really looking forward to getting at some point. Yeah, I like it. It's neat. And um, this here is. Dragon, uh, Dragon a day, and if you've been following this, there's all kinds of interesting things in here about um, the dragon. It's like a series on. Um, I think this is on Twitter. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Ron's garage, so I can post stuff that I've had. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the cocoa, but um, I did play. Um, Jeff Vazivars, or however you say his name's uh, uh, emulator on my older machines like this, and they ran to speed pretty well. Yeah. Yep. That was the very first Cocoa emulators. Yeah. And I made this for fun <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got, got lots of comments on it. And uh, the <clears throat> 1.8K post reach, it must have went out there, and everybody got to see it. There's some more. Um, this is rather colorful. Yes, it came out pretty good. I'll tell you, Green, you really purple. have to you have to pick a good picture to con- convert that has a lot of contrast in color. You know. Yeah, uh, if you have too many subtle shades of the same basic colors, yeah, it kind of gets it, washed out. It gets muddy. <laughs> it really does. And I probably have some of them here somewhere. This is back in the day. I I don't know if I showed this last time, but um. This is in a basement in um, Michigan. A bunch of us used to get together, uh, and some of these people are from the Color Computer Club. And um, we used to bring our cocos, set them up, and uh, share programs and learn stuff. Um, learn about either programming basic or um, watching somebody's attempt to make a program. And um, you know, people would give suggestions on. We were like the blind leading the blind, you know. <laughs> we'll mm. try this, you know. And where, uh, uh, where, where in Michigan exactly? Uh, Lambertville, Michigan, just north of uh, Toledo, where I used to live. Right. I, I lived in Marshall for for a few years. In where? In Marshall. Marshville. No, Marshall. Marshall. It's a, Marshall. It's a very oh. yes, Marshall. A very, uh, very, a very teeny town close to Battle Creek. Oh, okay. That's a little bit west, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- anyway, this guy. Um, uh, I, do you know who Larry Cole is? I think that's this guy, and he used to be on CompuServe a lot. Do you remember him? Um, Larry Cole. Yeah. Doesn't ring a bell off the top no. of my head. Okay. Like right. Greenfield, I know, but Greenfield, maybe that's that's who I was thinking of. Yeah, it might have been him. Anyway, um, every once in a while, I throw the Beatles on and um, run it through the machine and um, listen for a while. 
it doesn't come out very loud, but you can hear it. <laughs> and it's fun to um, just let it run. A couple of times I've had people come over and uh, I've got it running and they go, well, what is that? You know, and I explain it to them. Anyway, that's, that's about a very it. early visualizer, like they have in yeah, iTunes exactly. and stuff. I, yeah. It's what I just noticed, a semi-graphics visualizer. Yeah. yeah, that's the Auto Spectrum Analyzer by uh, Steve Bjork. Right. That's what that is in the uh, um, kaleidoscope mode. Yeah. Nice and, to be uh, set. This, this is um, stuff I, I drew in Cocoa Max, but um, if you see, this is the setup for... Um, the IP library. Yeah, VIP library. I, I stole the picture and uh, put uh, Toledo Color Computer Club in it. <laughs> and added oh, a drive. And you drew those. Huh? You drew those. You drew those three D uh, black and white graphics. So the 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 kind no, of three D computer. I, I stole them from another program. They were in black hmm. and green, and I, I you know I turned it into um, black and white uh, through um, uh, Coco Max. And nice. um, added a drive and added the joystick controllers joystick. and yeah and put something on the screen and then I did this here for the color computer club so a lot of times we uh, have that setting up at the front of the um, room when we had you know the board members in the front and everybody else and we had about eighty people in our club it was pretty cool great and this machine has uh, a low um, wow. Serial That's a Canadian button. one too, isn't it? With the yes. French, and, and uh, explain how um, every time they had a series, they would change the the um, serial number again. This is a two thousand four or three thousand four, right? Mm -hmm. So the Caluda did it too. Hmm. And have you ever seen Coco Max come up? This colorware flips comes up mm -hmm. from the bottom and flips and then uh, you, have to, you have to uh, hit reset to get this to be the proper color and then the mm -hmm. program continues. It's pretty neat. Spilcomax is a, it's a great software. It sure is. You have to use this uh, program pack in the past and then they, they made a, a crack for it but um, the joystick use is pretty crappy. I mean it uses too many uh, jumps in the pixels to draw with. We can draw, but it's very rudimentary, you know. Mm -hmm. and that's about it. Um, thank you, oh, guys. The camo. That super camo game there. That's a great yeah. one. <laughs> it's fun. So thanks for letting me show my little corner of the world. I spend a lot very of time. Nice. Um, thanks this, for actually, it. you know, I'm probably one of the few people in the Cocoa world that is producing software probably every other day every couple three days and i put it up on facebook and anybody can download it and it's something you can see on your color computer so if you think about it go to um, ron's garage and do that i'll check the say ron the uh what are your current choices of uh, drawing directly on the color computer uh there's coco max there's um coco max 3 there's um what's the other one Color Max, Color Max, Color Max Deluxe, and and they had fonts that you could add to them. Um, what about the font pack? Uh, using the Coco VGA? Is there a solution for that? 
No. Um, well, the Coco VGA has a um, small um, rendering uh, program that um, you take a PNG file and um, it converts the PNG file to the um, 128 by 96. 96 by 16 color. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it does four variations of, um, you know, um, dithering. And you pick whichever one looks best, and then uh, you can save it off. But you can uh, you can draw you can yeah. draw. Well, on... it has the ability to um, it has picture uh, a palette on the side of what colors it chose when it did the dithering, <clears throat> and it has a little pen and an eraser. So, like, if you don't like the way somebody's hmm. eye looks because it's got too much white or something, you can take some of the other colors and actually do your own artwork on it and make it so it looks better you know what i mean or if you've got a couple of words that m might show and you need to um make it so that the e has a, a thing in the middle you know <laughs> you can yeah. actually add those uh by clicking on a color and and making it legible so there is that <clears throat> but otherwise there's not okay. a yeah it's, it's not a full-blown graphics no. editor like a cocomax or right it's but just you can touch up you can draw directly to Coco VGA in basic, for example, right? Right, data statement. Yeah, and, you could and draw yeah. that way. And they have different screens, um, different resolution of screens, right? VG6. Yeah. So it, it will be possible for someone to code package for Coco VGA, for example. Yes. 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 Um, That's interesting. You can, you can even affect the palettes, kind of like the Coco 3 does, of your standard Coco 1 and 2 modes, too, if you do a couple of pokes, you can actually tell it, you know, I don't like that green. I want to make that black instead or whatever. Yeah. Now the thing is, um, there is no uh, animation. There's no software to outside of that program. I was telling you about, like, you can't run, you can't just take a Coco two, hook it up to your TV and load in some VG six, uh, files and see them. What you'll see is garbage because <laughs> mm. i tried it <laughs> but i wish there was something like that so you can see the files i've made on a regular coco 2 because the resolution's av available right yeah just not the colors you can't get 16 colors at once on the coco no, 1 2 you're it, limited to 4 mm -hmm. yeah and and i fixed 4 not not the 256 right. you get to choose from on a coco vj mm. now uh, uh, another thing i've done um was uh um in order to see a um file that you've made i try and convert it to um, a gif so that i can use the gif viewer on um, coco 2 and the gif viewer is pretty rough it's oh. <laughs> it's yes rough. it is you have to find just like when i'm doing uh the high color images you have to find a high contrasting color hmm. uh image that um would translate well you know and anything muddy okay. is not even worth trying you know yeah, you really have to think when you're doing it. So, all right, trial by error. It takes an artist's touch. It yeah. does. Yeah. All right. How about we uh, take a short break, go refill our coffee cups, and, do and game look on. at some WeFax files. What do you think? <laughs> well, <there's the> dream. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was going to say, how about some game on results? Sounds That's good. Afterwards. Ooh.
Probably better. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should, too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brandon Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Bodefkarschaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Jim M. says, hello. I mostly post in the Facebook group and on YouTube. Coco's 1 through 3, Commodore 64, Apple 2, Commodore VIC-20, Atari 800, MC-10. My elementary school bought a bunch of Coco's and I got an MC-10 for Christmas. After that I was hooked. I also started with the Atari 2600, as far as my introduction to computers went. That eventually led me to a career in software development. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Cuthbert in Space. We had a total of nine people that played. They were Mark B with 330, Mr. Dave 6309, 790, Jim Rye 5010, Shenley 6310. Sloopy Malibu, 6620. L. Curtis Boyle, 6950. K. 
Canadian Retro Things, 8770, Buck Owens, 15,640, and this week's number one score belongs to Tasman with 19,750. Thanks everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. All right. We're back. So that was uh, Cuthbert in Space. I would say not one of our more popular games. <laughs> if you played, you were guaranteed to be in the top 10. There you go. <laughs> um, I will mention uh, uh, Scott Cooper actually got much higher than that. He wrapped the score. Yeah, he did. He didn't, he didn't post his score where he uh, found the cheat, which I don't know why not, because it's part of the game. It's in the, it's in the code, so you can use it. Yeah. As yeah. long as you're not altering the code in any way, then uh, it's a legitimate score. I'd gotten a little oh. higher than that, but that was the only screenshot I could get. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those annoying ones where you had to score at least 5,000 points before you could be on the leaderboard. And I discovered after my score that you can fire. Yep. <laughs> you can shoot things. That's that's part of the game. It's uh, I couldn't find any reviews on the game, but um, it uh, had some annoying things in it. There were a little bit different um like the uh the part where you had to change your coordinates to get parts and then get back to your ship yeah i think that was a bit annoying to do because especially since the fact that you didn't get any points for doing it if you actually got points for doing it successfully then it w- i don't think it would have been so bad but it yeah it was kind of like yeah. a pointless pause of gameplay really yeah Really, it was. I never got that far, so. Well, it was random, too. It happened randomly between screens. So sometimes, you know, you would just go from one level to the next, and other times you'd get that stupid thing, and sometimes you get it twice in a row. Yep. Now, I do have a video from Scott showing the cheat. I don't know. Do you want me to play that and you can continue talking as as a background, or? Um, sure. Let's take a look at that. I haven't actually seen it, so. How's it compared to Neutroid? It's better than Neutroid. Yeah, that's pretty well. It goes without saying, I think, at this point. (laughs) I've never seen that. I'm pushing for you, Nick. (laughs) Usually just sitting and watching the blinker blink is better than Neutroid. Watching the cursor blink. Uneducated. Uneducated. What can I say, Ron? (laughs) <laughs> no we're Canadians we have taste oh it has to my graphics so, I've never seen that game around here no this is a UK release for the dragon originally um, yeah I think I ported the Coco where you can see the artifact colors because of course they didn't have that with PAL did you want to just skip past the part where he like this this level's okay it's just a uh, simple pick up the fuel things and put them back in your ship and yeah and you can fire kill, <laughs> kill all the guys that are coming through at you from the sides of the screens a lot of fire and you only it's, pick uh... up one at a time yeah. yeah you can only pick up one at a time then you have to drop it in your ah. ship and then go back and some of those things coming from the side come in really fast so you're pretty well how would aaron put it you're boned if you're in the way of it right off the bat but like that it kind of has a buzzard bite feeling into it. Maybe yeah, the platforms it. are kind of remind me of Joust a bit. Yeah, 
I'm mm -hmm. impressed with how fast and smooth the uh, animation of your ship is. Yes, extremely smooth. Yeah. Did you want me to read uh, Scott's text about the cheat to uh, Ken or? Yeah, sure. I like the explosion. I figured out it. I figured out last night what his cheat was without actually seeing. Yeah, this this is the stage you'll get it on. But basically, he says here's a video showing how to rack up points without getting hurt. Is done on the loot stage, which is what we're on right now. Where you're supposed to catch the falling loot. He said, "I yeah. move up to the very top and position myself under my number of men left, which you can see right now. Uh, make sure to keep shooting to the left because sometimes a baddie will come in from the left for some reason. I have never seen any baddies coming from the right when he does it this way. Uh, so just stay there and rack up the points from shooting the falling X-shaped looking things. So basically, they just fall into you, and you happen to get points, and then the other ones you just ignore because you can stay doing this forever." Um, he said shortly after that, I sped up XR to make the process happen faster, which you're also seeing right now. But basically, you're pretty well immortal, just keep going until you wrap the score. It would take a lot longer to do this on a real Coco in real time. <laughs> that is nuts. You just so turn your Black Beauty upside down, have the button rest on the table or whatever, so that you keep shooting. Yeah, go have a, yeah. go have lunch. <laughs> yeah, go have lunch. Exactly. Or you use duct back. tape. You can just use duct tape on the. Well, oh yeah, us red green fans definitely would, but no, oh, yeah. no, no. C clamp, C clamp. Not that no, I've ever used tape. that tactic. C clamp. <laughs> was it this game that someone figured oh, out how to just uh, get a perpetual fire? No, that was in asteroids. I was going to mention oh. that. Oh, okay. It, it only mind. works on BCC. <laughs> okay, never mind. <clears throat> never mind. So yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the cheat in action. Greatly sped up because it it does take a while because you have to wait for the things uh, the loot to catch it. You have to fall right to where you're sitting, but this basically makes you impervious to harm. Because uh, also, this... oh, I was going to say it's interesting how many more of the uh, bad bad guys end up on the screen as you uh, get more points. Yeah, it's, it's basically to discourage you from trying to do this farming for points. But they didn't have a bad guy actually come up at the very top, so you're safe there. Yeah. Because what I do know that you can. Effects? Oh, sound effects? There is some. I don't. Um, let me just rewind it a bit here. I think you recorded the sound. Let me check. Yeah, they're pretty rudimentary, but. Although, uh, was it you, Mark, that was saying that it sounds like it's trying to do some rudimentary speech when the level starts? Yeah. I, I was hearing some sort of. <laughs> You know, at the very <laughs> beginning of the uh, level. One of those sound effects sounds like the scorpion in Dungeons & Dagraph. Here, listen. That yeah, that thing. part right there. Sounds like it's a, a badly done digitized speech. Yeah. The explosion? Like patron se uh, segment. Uh, maybe yeah. it just didn't work out, so he just said, I oh, know that's the sound of the ship crashing. Yeah, well, this sounds pretty rudimentary, but... Uh, yeah, they get on my nerves after a little while. Yeah, that's why I had it muted before I played the video, honestly. <laughs> oh, but what does it sound like at, like, 50 times speed? I don't think... Does extra play sound when you crank it that fast? I don't know if it does. <laughs> I wondered if uh, Cuthbert was, wasn't was uh, Cuthbert 
but uh, they had a speech impediment or something. <laughs> well, the problem with Cuthbert is he he changes like even his appearance depending on what game they renamed Cuthbert. Yeah, some of them have nothing to do with each other whatsoever. Well, we're kind of figuring out the lineage of all the games that. Uh, so in this one, he's killing people. In the next one, he's like in prison. Then he digs his way out of prison. Then he goes walkabout. Yeah. And then he becomes Pitfall Harry. So yeah. there we go. There's a story arc across all the games. That's cool. There we go. It's called Make Money. <laughs> hey, there's an idea for a video. The Cuthbert story arc. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody will make a game. Where he does all that. Um, yeah, so basically Cuthbert in Space, not the most popular game we've played. Uh, it's got some annoying points, but I have to do have to give it points for them trying to do something a little bit different with that other screen, that text screen. Yeah, you know, just it, like you said, it, it, it should have had some sort of reward. There was yeah, no it should have had some for... sort of reward. It didn't it didn't work. Not getting a reward for doing it. Uh, just makes it an annoyance rather than a feature. Yeah, it's basically a, a delay, you know, from actually playing the game proper. Because all you're doing is just holding down two keys to, you know, get up to a certain number, and then holding them the other ones to get back to where you started. Yeah, in a time limit, which is pretty boring. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. Keyboard controls on the Coco Three were really bad. It, it like if you're holding the fire button, you couldn't go up or left or something like that, and then. Later, I figured out how to change the joystick, which was awesome, but it, I still didn't have time to really get a screenshot of a decent score. <laughs> Dave Beery, Mr. Dave609, says it's as fun as Cuthbert goes to the DMV. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't played that one yet. I can't wait. <laughs> Is that where you sit like in line? Yeah, you sit in line for six hours. That's the game. Yeah. There you go. What, how about, how about that Cuthbert gets a root canal? <laughs> Ooh, a dentistry game. Those are awesome. You know, one of one of the one of the best things about the having the internet nowadays is you can do like car registrations and driver's license registration renewals all online. You don't even have to go to the DMV anymore. It's the hours so the modern... that I, the hours that I've saved uh, over the course of the last couple of decades uh, are just amazing. So you're saying the modern version of Cuthbert goes to the DMV would be just him sitting in front of a computer. Yeah. Nowadays it would be, yeah. <laughs> you just launch a browser and you're done in seconds. Yeah. You still got to wait seven wait. hours. Yeah, you still... Or you're using the phone. Well, I'll tell you another thing. Uh, if if you're older and you have to take an eye test to keep your license, you have to show up. <laughs> See, we just have yeah. to get our eye test done separately and then you just take in the results and that's all you need to, to prove. Yep. And honestly, I mean, I don't know if it's like that in BC, Ken, but I mean, going to the equivalent of the DMV here takes like maybe two minutes. Oh, yeah, because they're all privatized. Like they're just all these little. Yeah, and they're fully staffed. The so you just walk in. You might have a lineup of one or two per person and you're done in second. Well, not second, but like yeah. literally one or two minutes. You're done. You're gone. There's no hours. Wait, I don't know why that's that way in the States. Well, I have I been mean, in a lineup in the States. Was also depends where you live in bigger cities the lines are going to be longer like the dmv here where i live uh i, I live in a small town and and so there's hardly any anyone ever in there so well that's the trick here in wisconsin you leave uh, milwaukee for instance and go out to 
Janesville, and uh, the line's three people. <laughs> and well, you, you like do your business, a- and you're back home before you would have went to the local DMV and waited in line. <laughs> with me being uh, like I being out in Vancouver, with us basically anybody that sells insurance can do DMV stuff. So. You know, yeah. right by where I live, there's like a I'm within a five minute walk of like six places that I can do my DMV stuff. So it was DMV in Rochester when I moved here. It's it's DMW or something, DWM or something. It's it's wacky. Yeah, well, in Ohio, we have the BMV, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Oh, okay. Well, mm. now I'm going to try and steer us back to back, yeah. games. <laughs> Is this a Coco show? No, I want to hear more about the DMV. <laughs> well, I will mention DMV one comment talk. from Scott Cooper. He said the only thing I liked about the game was the fast shooting. So he wasn't impressed at all. Yeah. Fast yeah. But the fast shooting yeah, it was really fast. Yeah. I would I wouldn't I, I wouldn't rate it a terrible game. I would just rate it as a average eh, average game. It's yeah. still better than we can do probably some of us here. It's better than a lot of games I played on some other consoles. I'm not going to mention the Commodore yeah. 64's name. Oops. And it's a lot better than a game about atomic particles that's some Australians programming. So, you know, it's got some benefits. <laughs> I was going to say it's better than we <laughs> Really? Oh, well. <laughs> how many Neutroid, how many Neutroid uh, put downs is that this episode? Is anyone keeping track? I think they're up to 72. About 57. It's only 17. Come on, you guys. <laughs> hey, there's still more show to go. It'll get higher. Don't worry. Anyways, um, so the <laughs> other game that we were playing was Asteroids RX. And um, I guess that a few people have found some bugs in that game, Curtis. I yes, Buck and uh, Taz, of course, because they find all the bugs in all the games because they're based on score. Since... Yep, breaking games for as long as the game on challenge has been around. Yep. So I have some updates to mention on that. Um, they've been going back and forth and getting people to test it on real hardware, testing it on emulators, et cetera. And uh, there was definitely several bugs and Pear's kind of been busy with some home stuff. He's doing at the same time. So he hasn't had time to even try to dig out his machine. So he's been, you know, kind of blindly sending updates and I've been kind of kept in the loop on those. Um, as it stands right now, the latest release that Paris sent us to test, which was yesterday, the day before, Appears to work perfectly fine on a Cocoa 1 and 2 now. All the bugs seem to be eliminated. The Cocoa 3 will work as long as you do that run at 1 on the Cocoa SDC. It will not run from SDC DOS. It'll crash. Um, but once you do that, it works. Uh, but right now, I've got some reports from Ron Klein, who's one of the people helping test it as well, that basically if you have a Cocoa VGA, it crashes for some reason. And uh, he's trying with the Gimme X, uh, which I think he said if you do that run at 1 now works too. But I, I'll have to double check. I haven't totally caught up with that but okay and we're and we just uh download the latest patches from itch.io they're not on there yet um alan the person who originally wrote it for the spectrum is is waiting just to make sure that we've got this as compatible as possible okay and all the bugs are fixed and as soon as that he'll put it up on the itch.io page which should be within the next day or two over the weekend sometime all right sounds good but most of these bugs did not show up until you got like 15 20 000 points which most of us never get to except for those two yeah, so so most of us don't have to worry. As us mere mortals. Um. <laughs> now, as Mark did uh, 
point out, I found, uh, I personally found a little, I'll call it a quirk when I'm playing Asteroid. So I was playing it on VCC. And um, if I hold down the fire button, it fires rapidly like it's supposed to. But then if I click off of VCC and then click back on it, the fire is stuck on. I can't turn it off. So I don't have to hold the button down anymore. So I free up a hand for a beer. <laughs> yeah, that that's a quirk in VCC. That's a bug in VCC, actually. I've hit that on yeah. other games, not just Asteroids RX. So. Okay. So, yeah. So if you want to be able to drink beer while playing Asteroids, then uh, just put it on VCC, click off, click <laughs> back on. You've got auto fire just permanently stuck on, so you can sit there and drink beer and only have to use one hand to control. I, I love how Ken's promoting alcoholism for this game. That's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the game go faster. Okay, sorry. Not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a beer. It could be whiskey. You could be. How about this? You could be eating lunch while you're uh, you're planning at the same time. Hey, hey, there don't you, don't be intruding in my territory here. Come on. <laughs> now, now Curtis is going to be able to get a really good score because he will be able to eat lunch while playing this game. We <laughs> should just say game responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I, I want to thank the Coco community for like kind of stepping up on these bugs because, like I said, Para was – I think he's a little bit embarrassed because he did test the game before he, he released it to Alan to release on his site. But he didn't play it with you know that high of a score type thing. He got to like 9,000, 10,000, made sure the free man thing worked, and everything was working fine up to that point, so we figured it's done. And then I think, Nick, you hit this too with uh, Jumping Joey, didn't you? That's when Buck went a couple levels yeah. higher than you can get to, and bang, now there's a bug where it freezes the game there too. That's right. Yeah. So he's now now paranoid who to send the game to to test. Yeah, Taz and uh, Buck, but one of the two of them will find bugs. Yep, if any exists. So if there's a if there's a score related bug. Yeah, and and Ken, oh. for those who missed last week's show and want to partake in this, especially when the the uh, the fixed release comes out this later this weekend, uh, where do they get it? And there's some special things here like this one you actually have to buy because it's a brand new release yes it's a brand new game uh you have to buy it it's at itch.io and uh if you do buy it you also get the spectrum version so if you have a specky or an emulator or an emulator um i don't have the ad uh marco do you have the address there you could post that in the uh chat i will momentarily thank you very much sir and by the way, Sixy Kieran, the author of Xware, his comment is mm, beer. Oh, and by the way, when I say drink a beer while you're playing the game, I'm not uh, advocating that if you're ever up in space flying a ship, shooting asteroids, that you should be <laughs> drinking. Pretty good landing, man. It's just a couple of pangalactic gargle blasters. You'll be fine. Exactly. Okay, so. Because you're not going to last um, long anyway. Yeah, so that's going to be. Um, Posted oh, Buck is all... saying you have to do that at one thing on the Coco 2 as well. Did you guys encounter that? You couldn't launch from the SDC Explorer? Don't look at me. Okay. I don't think anybody else has tried it on the Coco 1 or 2. Yeah, you should use the run at one on both. If you have to use it anywhere, use it on both. Okay. All right, so the uh, HIO address is there, and I will also post that again in the uh, Discord channel for the Game on Challenge. Yep, now, and you guys can get the current release with the bugs just to get familiar with the game, because it does play okay. Yeah, and honestly, unless you're Buck or Taz, you're probably never going to encounter the bug. Yeah, you should be able to play, like, kind of get familiar with the controls, and then when the uh, the full, you know, the fixed release comes out and it 
within a day or two here, hopefully, then uh, you can just grab that. It's just a free download update, basically. But we'll let people know on the Discord once once it's released. Now, let's talk about Thursday night. Thursday night, we uh, I will attempt to show my slideshow of Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Since there's nobody here. Mr. Sloopy is not here right now, I don't think. Nope. Nope, he's not. So oh, I will share. I think he likes your slideshows. That's why he never shows up anymore. So <laughs> There we go. So Thursday night, we had a few people in playing uh, both Asteroids and Cuthbert in space. And uh, eventually, I believe it was uh, Coconut Bob moved on and uh, started playing all the all the different Cuthbert games. So because he got pretty sick of uh, Cuthbert in space. I was still struggling with the controls. Yeah, they're a bit awkward in the Coco so 3 because of are... the arrow keys. Go ahead, sorry. Hint, hint. Yeah, key fix will um, solve that problem for you with a switch. Yes, and uh, actually, Cuthbert in space, you could just use a joystick, too. Now, does Ast- um, Asteroids think, RX, uh, does it support joystick? I don't think so, but it does have... Um, programmable keys so you can make your keys whatever you want ah good so you can do the arrow cluster the asteroid is moving really fast that's great yeah it is uh, i wonder uh, are those polygons or are they sprites i mean graphics i have no idea i can't remember i was looking at the code for that i can't remember if that's actually just like a a scaled shape, or if it's just a raw shape for each of the sizes of asteroids, I'd have to take a look at it again. That's pretty great. Probably a scaled shape because there's only really two shapes of asteroids there. Yeah, but to keep the game speed up, you might have it pre-rendered at the three sizes just so it doesn't have to do the extra math. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to do the otherwise. I'm pretty sure it's all XORed, if I remember, but. It doesn't do a neat trick, though, I found out. Uh, for Coco 1 and 2s, you have the ability of doing the full double speed up poke like the Coco 3 has, right? Where you speed up the RAM and the ROM, so it's running full 1.78 megahertz. But then the screen goes nuts because the VDG and the SAM can't handle that that in conjunction. But if you tell it to turn on full double speed as it's doing the V-blank, like basically once the raster gets to the bottom and it quits drawing and has to go back to the top of the screen to start redrawing, he actually kicks it into full double speed so we can like you know figure out where the asteroids are moving, where your bullets have gone, and all that kind of stuff at double speed. And then he turns it back to normal mode to actually do the drawing part. So you're actually doing the full high speed poke in there, you know, 60 times per second. Uh, awesome. Little blips there to increase the speed of the game. And also, cool. I do want to mention there's two modes that you can play in on asteroids, either shield or um the Teleport. warping one hyperspace yeah. transporting one hyperspace and uh you can play either one scores are accepted for either version whichever everybody i've talked to so far much prefers the shield i don't know is that your yep. case ken me too oh because you don't run the problem with the hyperspace one is you just randomly end up somewhere <laughs> on the screen and usually get killed right away 
Uh, yeah, okay. pretty dangerous. Right. In the arcade cabinet, you had the two different buttons. I didn't even know where the hyperspace button was. <laughs> <laughs> Never used it. And one of the nice things in it is that you do have your shield is limited, but it's only limited on every level. So if you use up all your shield on one level, as soon as you kill all the rocks, you've got a brand new shield. Remember if Star Blaster did that too, because they gave you five seconds that you could use. And I can't remember when it recharged. So basically don't you don't have to be chintzy with your shield. Just that's definitely a well done port, and it's kind of like borrowing some asteroids and some asteroids deluxe with the shield thing. So Yeah. It's definitely uh definitely worth it if you're definitely especially if you're an asteroids fan. Mm-hmm. So remember Thursday nights, people come out and play. Uh starts at uh I guess eight PM Eastern. Eight eight Eastern. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I just had to think about it. <laughs> especially especially since I showed up two hours early for it this this week. I forgot I wasn't in Vancouver. <laughs> What's the website address? You can download it again. It's in the chat. Um it, it's, it's in, in the, the chat. chat. Okay, I'll look at yeah. it. And it will also be re-posted uh, in the um, Discord channel. Yeah, and as soon as Ron uh, finishes testing the last couple of machines just to see which ones are a little bit quirky, it seems stuff with third-party graphic enhancement hardware are the only ones that are having problems at this point. But it now works in emulators and on standard Cocoa 1, 2s, and 3s, so that's, I think that's good enough for most people. And we'll have to figure out if there's some weird timing glitch or what's going on with the Cocoa VGA and the and then give me X. So that is um, our game for another week is Asteroids RX. Does anybody want to see what our game for the next two weeks is going to be? Yes. Just for fun, I'm going no, back and why to two weeks? Old... <laughs> I'm going back to an old classic. Oh, this is a uh, Terry Steen game. Yep. Anybody know what this one is other than Curtis? Because I know Curtis knows it. Not yeah, me. Sure. I don't think I've seen it before. Not I'm trying me. to remember the name of it off the top of my head, though. It's from TMD Software. Where you run into the couch. <laughs> so this is called Balloon Fire. You're the um, arrow at the bo- at the top, and uh, the balloons are coming out of the things at the bottom, and you have to pop them before they get to the top of the screen. So it's a top-down shooter. Oh, I, I assume that it, you were the thing at the bottom shooting upwards. Um, nope, you're the thing nope. at the top shooting down, and the balloons <laughs> okay. are floating up towards you. Okay. And those uh, little blue uh, things are the arrows you're firing. Yeah. On the screenshot. So eh, that is the title screen, Balloon Fire by Terry Steen. Balloon Fire. Yeah, when we interviewed Terry, we, we talked about this game for a bit too. So. We did, yeah. Oh, Buck Owens just reported. He said, uh, "Just tried Asteroids RX with the Coco DV, which is uh, Alan Eight Bit Alan. What's a, what the name of the site there? Eight Bit in the basement? Um, okay. it, no, no, no. no. Uh, uh, Alan, AC's Eight Bit Zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Too many Eight Bits. <laughs> but he said he just tried with the Coco DV, which is what the, the uh, you know the uh, video solution that Alan's made for hooking up to HDMI, etc., and it works fine on there. And he said it looks great with co- monochrome mode." So that one will be safe on the new version. So that's good. So just have to wait for Ron on the Coco VJ and the uh, Give Me X. Everything else seems to be working though. So I would expect the update to be up probably 
might even be later today, depending. Well, actually, no, he's in Spain. So what time would they be there? It might be a bit late. So it might be tomorrow. Middle of the night tonight, we'll say. Yeah. I just phone him long distance, wake him up. No, I'm just kidding. We want our asteroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. well, if he gets more sales out of it, he may not mind. I don't know. Anyway, that's all I have to say about uh, the Game on Challenge this week. So, okay, be, be there um, on Thursday night, everybody. Now, Balloon we'll Fire is joystick driven, if I remember correctly. Coco one or two or three game um, artifact colors make it look nicer, but not necessary if you if you don't if you're not capable of displaying that. And I think it's only sixteen K required, isn't it? I, I don't think, think so. Needs I'm just taking a quick look at it. Uh, yeah, some idiot Canadian site might tell you. Yeah. That's usually where I go for my inf- my misinformation. <laughs> Ice people? Did he review uh, Balloon Fire? I can't remember. No. You can't, just, it, just messing it, with it, you. Uh, color computer 1, 2, or 3, 32K RAM, but it uh, doesn't say that you need a joystick, so you should be able to control from keyboard as well. It's just back and forth. And Either that or so I forgot to mention it's joystick required because you know, I don't actually I don't think it is joystick. I think it's arrow keys. Was it? Okay. I think it's I haven't played in a long time, so because it's it's just three keys. It's fire and back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Or if you want to get a really good score on it, uh, just uh, hook up a VCC Atari and paddle. go off the window. <laughs> no, hook an Atari paddle up to it, and that's how everybody always beats these games. Really breaks them. Yeah, I prefer the analog joystick I, I, over a paddle. It takes too long to actually turn it, so I can just like flip it back and forth. A you know, flick of the wrist type thing. Balloon fire bot. Balloon <laughs> <laughs> bot. Yeah, just good moving your guy back and forth and back and forth and firing constantly. I'm just waiting to see what what Buck and Taz are going to find for cheating on that game, and they'll have to tell Terry. <laughs> Hmm, I give it till Tuesday before they figure something out. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, right. Ken. I'm sorry for the um, the missing Sloopy here, but he's actually been on all the live streams on Thursdays, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no that's no problem. I was just razzing him if he watches this back. Oh no, continue the razzing. Don't get me wrong there, but yeah. Uh... <laughs> I, I don't mind trying to show. I don't even know how how was my uh, video coming through. Actually, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was slowed down in spots there, but we didn't like lose your voice or anything like like you oh, did last good. time. Right. I've got a little bit better internet here now. I've kind of, I've I've captured a second squirrel for my internet, so I got two wheels going now. Sweet, two squirrel. <laughs> That's from an eighteen wheeler truck or what? <laughs> So instead of horsepower, it's squirrel power. Yeah, squirrel I power. got two little hamster wheels with squirrels in them. <laughs> you just got to soak the acorns in coffee and give it to them, then they'll really get right. it. Where they go? I just feed them straight <laughs> coffee grounds. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> just don't accidentally give them decaf. <laughs> How do you keep the wheel from squeaking? WD-40. Unfortunately, right. I give them uh, too many hot coffee grounds and their hearts explode, but... <laughs> Mm. Outside of that, okay. You're asking for PETA, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, bring it Can on. You get a complaint right away. All right, time for commercial break. Sure, sure. I can use, yeah, I can on, use I some coffee. Mm-hmm. See what I can get my heart rate up to. 
Hello, this is Mark Siegel, product manager for the Color Computer product line and designer of the Tandy Color Computer 3. And I'm proud to be a citizen of the Coco Nation. Making games for the Coco for over 35 years. Go to my Coco Games website at www.nickmarentes.com for information and pricing of my later games as well as downloads of many of my older games. Coco 2's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco 2's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable, so term exam grammable. Just you and Coco 2 do what you want to do. Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco 2, do what you want to do. Just you and Coco 2. Okay, you guys are seeing the screen. That mentions Jim Gary at the bottom. Hey. Hey, so first on the Game On news. So Jim's been busy this last week. Um, oh, no, I see this thing about this lady who shot Lennon. What? What are you looking at? <laughs> bottom corner of the screen. Oh, news yeah, YouTube's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Think, Too thinking I, you know, what I want to watch here. <laughs> The horrific execution. That's the next game by Jim Gary, haven't you? <laughs> okay, continue. Okay. 
So the first one that uh, Jim did this past week is called Mind Busters. This was originally written by Ned W. Schultz and appeared in the April 1985 issue of Computer Magazine. Um, and this was originally written for PC Basic. Uh, so G Wiz Basic, I'm presuming. This is a sliding roll column game with graphical patterns where you try and solve it in the least amount of time. So this is actually a popular, well, was made of a little plastic one, I think, at first. And it's got multiple skill levels, etc. I used to get them like for free in serial and stuff. But basically, it does this randomly generate patterns instead of using little, little number squares. And you have to slide them around by column or row to uh, try to match the pattern on the right. Or to match the one on the right to the left. So you're kind of like trying to recreate it. So uh, I've seen a lot of these. There used to be one in OS9. Rick, you probably remember it too. It was uh, the the numbered version of it where you had the one empty spot and you'd slide you know, 1 to 15 around trying to get an order. So this one is using graphical patterns. So it's a little bit different, but uh, basically the same same style game. That's number one. Number two is called Adventure Without a Name, which is kind of a lie because it's called Adventure Without a Name. It's got a name. Um, so this is a text, a text adventure game originally by A. Sumner in the 1986 book called Bumper Book of Programs, Volume 2, that was published by Your Microcomputer. And I'm not sure if this is the same Your Microcomputer that was a, a British magazine for multiple platforms. It was actually weekly, or if it's a different one, maybe from North America. I'm not positive on that one. Um, but it does have a nice little uh, intro screen where you kind of drew a cave here using semi-graphics. And just SG4, and then it goes into straight into a you know standard text adventure game type thing. So I won't play too much of that because we've all seen lots of text adventure games, and it makes for boring radio for the uh, audio listeners. And then the third one, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, it's uh, Donkey Dot Bass. Now, for those of you who know a bit of the history of the IBM PC and Microsoft, um, this was a sample uh, program that Bill Gates himself actually worked on along with another guy. Uh, named Neil Konzen in 1981. It was kind of a demo game to show off G-Wiz Basic. Uh, so basically, uh, because Bill was also involved with you know Extended Basic on the Cocoa, which is kind of what beget the G-Wiz Basic, because a lot of the stuff that we got, like paint and play and draw, all showed up on ours first and then went to G-Wiz Basic after being done on the Cocoa. So it's kind of like bringing it back the other way, where uh, Jim has actually grabbed their uh, donkey bass program and uh, converted it back to the MC-10. And he's using semi-graphics, so the uh, G-Wiz basically is using like high-res 320 by 200 or whatever. Um, and you can find tons of videos of this here. But basically, it's just, you know, you're you're driving on this road and you switch between lanes, and as you progress further and further, your car goes up higher in the screen, so you have less and less reaction time to uh, not hit the animal, uh, the donkey, in this case. And then you get, you know, score. But the donkey gets a score, and you get a score as to, you know, how many ones you pass or yet type thing and it doesn't run too bad of a, a clip you know for a basic game actually animates the road not too bad so a bit of a history on that one anyway looks more like a moose than a bad donkey to me <laughs> right. it's a leg short could be an elk yeah. um could be a bison three. could be a cow who knows it's low res make it up <laughs> three-legged cow all right or well we won't go there <laughs> politely said <laughs> alright so that's that's three new games you can try that Jim Gary ported just this last week so 
<clears throat> Next up, uh, Tier State Retro Computer Programming posts an update to Tales of Suburbia. Uh, this is where he's kind of going through his plans for Stage 4 and uh, his plans for finishing the game. So he's adding some stuff here. Um, so this one here is showing like one of the newer scenes where he's actually got kind of a kitchen table, uh, chairs and stuff, and, and fairly drawn well for, you know, P-Mode 1, I think it is. And, uh, of course, he's been fiddling with all the different P-Copy and stuff here to speed things up. And uh, So he's playing it, getting it done fairly soon. It should run on a 32K or higher extended base at Coco. It's set up right now because he always used cassette when he had his Coco back in the day. So he's actually set up to be four different programs that you load for each of the, the levels as you go through in cassette. Uh, I think Jim Mullis and I are going to try to teach him how to use disk <laughs> so he can make this a bit easier for the disk users, which is like 99% of us. <clears throat> Question for you guys. By the time the, you know, the Coco 2 had came out and the prices had started falling for the Coco or even the Coco 3 are that matter. How many of you like post 1983-84 still use cassette? I'm just kind of curious. I was on disc by about 80, late 82, early 83. So I never went back after that. But I was just wondering for the rest of you who may have came into the Coco a little bit later. Did you start with cassette or were disc drive prices cheap enough? You started with disc and just went from there. Well, we didn't get a Coco until 84 and we used cassette for several years. I don't remember exactly when we got a disc drive, but we were late to the show, I guess. Okay, would, would you have still been on cassette before the Coco Three came out, or no? We had we had um, no. By the time we got, you know, we had a disc drive at, at some point before we got a Coco Three. Okay, oh. <clears throat> Fred here. Um, so I got my first Coco Two at the end of 1983, and we had a cassette. We only had cassette, I think, for maybe about two years. Um, uh, definitely had a disk drive before I got the Coco 3 in 87. But yeah, I'd say a couple of years, uh, at least until 1985, uh, we used cassette. Uh, and Dark 1, by the way, was written on cassette. Um, so uh, so whenever, whenever the third Rainbow Adventure contest was, I think it was 85. Uh, I was still on cassette by then. I got a question uh, on cassette where they had the leader while it was coming in, you'd get a graphic to come up. Um, they can't reproduce that on disc, can they? Yep. It usually goes by so fast you can't see it, but yeah, it still oh. works fine. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, because it loads so much quicker, unless you have the program specifically pause it. Just wondered. Okay, no, that, that's interesting to note. I, I guess a lot of people in our club, like everybody was kind of pushing disc, you know, amongst other people there. And some people would you know, upgrade to a 40 track or double side drive and they'd sell their old single sided to one of the club members for dirt cheap. You just had to get the controller. So I think a lot of us upgraded pretty quick. But we had a pretty big users group. Like I know, Ron, you mentioned your users group was around 80 people or something. And I think yeah. ours here is around 60 to 80 ourselves Yeah, back then. So maybe it just depended where you were too. Yeah, I wasn't in a club. Um, uh, and disk drive systems were rather expensive, I thought, at the time. So the uh, more I think about it, the more I think it was 85 when I got a disk system. Okay. Getting some comments in the chat too. So Jim Rice says cassette only from 82 to 83. For me, it was 81 through 80, late 82, early 83. I can't remember the exact date. Uh, Dave Very, Mr. Dave 609, says, I was stuck with cassette until 1988. 
<clears throat> and then 60 Kieran, uh, the author of Xroar, he says, at least 1989 here, I forget exactly, but I have Dragon users that date it after that. And that is one thing that was quite different in the UK and European market. All the platforms there, whether it was Spectrum or a BBC or Acorn or Dragon or whatever it was, they stuck with Cassette probably about half a decade after the rest of, you know, after North America went up. Um, I, I think it pretty well waited till the 16-bit era before most people started getting disk drives like, you know, Atari STs and Amigas and stuff. Um, just because it would, you know, to load a program that takes 512K off cassette would take you days. <laughs> but uh, I noticed you said uh, uh, one of the parameters for one of the games was uh, 30, 32K Coco. How many people have, you know, it may be in this group here, or know of someone that has a 32k coco because i certainly don't it's either 16k or 64 i've never had i'm weren't they kind of rare 32 uh they're was... fairly popular when the e-board the e revision motherboard was out <clears throat> they really were 64k most of them some of them had half bad ram chips but honestly i'd say about 90 percent, 80 percent had fully fine 64k was... chips so you just had to yeah. subtly so modify the board to enable it and run software that's all you had to do Mine was sold as 32, but it always had 64. I just never knew it until I found the RAM disk program in the rainbow and tried it and it worked. Yeah. Well, Frank Hogg was very famous for publishing in Color Computer News, I think February of 83. He had an article called 64K for free. And that was precisely it. You'd go buy a 32K RAM machine of from Tandy. It would be an e-board. And... Uh, he gave you the test program and everything else to actually test if the 64K RAM worked. And like I said, 89% of the time it did. Some of the very oh. early upgrades, I think, actually did not. They had the half bad RAMs, but most of the time the RAM was fine. Well, and then, uh, yeah. Go ahead, in the Rick. days before ROM RAM, 32K, 64K, what was the difference to the average user? You well, know? if you were trying to run Flex, it made a huge difference or OS9. Well, but I mean, but basic, you know. 32K yeah. was the biggest you could go in basic as far as anyone knew. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that like when, when Frank Hogg and Spectral brought out Flex, which would have been in early 82, maybe late 81, those are the first ones that kind of required it. Because I remember reading a, 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 a 68 micro journal that they were actually telling people how to do a 64K upgrade, even on a D board or a C board. Specifically, so you could run Flex or run OS nine. Well, yeah, because so. now you got to dump the ROMs and load an OS. So, yeah, you need yeah. another thirty two K now, but you didn't need it before. And uh, yeah, oh, they never made badges for thirty two K, right? Yeah, it they did. Four thirty two K extended. I have a friend of mine that actually had an eboard with thirty two K extended little. Well, badge. I'd love to see one. Oh, not not the, not the actual full Tandy Radio Shack badge, but the little no, I know. RAM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, his said 32K. He doesn't have it anymore, but yeah, I distinctly remember it because he had it for years. That would be a rare one, I wouldn't I it? remember those. Yeah, the D-board ones only went to 16, so the same with the Cs. The E had the 32K, and then after the at the F-board was basically designed for 64. That's what the uh, you know the TDP-100 and the 64K Coco with the melted keyboard, the full-size one came out with and stuff. So, yeah, it, it was a very short-lived, maybe a year or two. Would you say that... Uh... You could have a computer that was 32K, but you wouldn't know it now because it's been upgraded before you got it. Well, they were, like I said, internally, they were basically 64K anyway, most of the time. It's just that, you know, they sold it by what basic could access. Okay. And that was something that I remember some of the Cocoa people arguing that, you know, the, the, the Commodore 64, they said, you know, that's false advertising. You don't get 64K through basic. Well, 
yeah, but you do through ML, so it, it, it's right. Same, same with us type things. So now I got a couple of comments in the chat here. Uh, a couple of fairly interesting ones here. Um, first one was 6C says, I think most BBC micro owners had disk drives because they had money. It's kind of like buying Apple IIs in North America. Uh, if you had one, you're rich. You can afford to drive. Hey, you can drive. <laughs> Uh, Mark Siegel said there's a lot of Cocoa ones with 32k because the eboard was the first, you know, hugely popular one. So I, I would agree with that. Uh, Tom Eric Gunderson said that's a myth, Curtis. At least in Norway, most people had disk drives. I had for my Dragon, my Amstrad, and my C64. All I knew with C64s had disk drives. Um, 60, I'm sure you can probably respond to that. For me, talking like when we talked to some of the Dragon people on the Dragon special, I don't think any of them had disk drives until the late 80s. Like, Almost all of them stuck in cassette because I think the prices were too high. Um, yeah, something interesting to hear. What is it? Maybe it's maybe it's just the UK and and maybe just certain countries in in Europe that had the the, the price kind of out of out of reach for most people. That's cool. I did. I didn't realize there was some European countries that actually did get into drives. Okay, next up. Uh, the Coco Show episode 46 from Boat and Aaron has been released and it features, well, talk about 60 again. So Karen's Anscombe's port of dungeons uh, to the Coco and Dragon. And I'll just play a little bit of the intro for those of you who aren't aware of the show because it's you know a bit tongue-in-cheek humor, but plus you can get to see some of the actual gameplay here. It's not Gauntlet. It's not Gantlet. It's Dungeons on the Coco Show. There, a little sneak preview. Now, I... I remember, uh, Ken, have we covered dungeons on Game on Challenge? Yes, yes, yeah. we have. Okay. Yeah, we have. Okay, cool. I could not remember. <laughs> Tom says, maybe it's because we were filthy rich in Norway. <laughs> anyway, it's a really good review of that. <clears throat> dungeons also has a, a bit of a special... Um, status in the in the Coco 1 and 2 community especially because it is the only Coco 1 and 2 game that I know of that allows four players simultaneous play. Even Gantlet only did three. Um Gant Gantlet 2 for the Coco 3 had four players but you had a slightly, you know, bigger keyboard and more keys to fiddle with so but uh, that was the only one that I know of. Okay, next up, and now any of you guys who have a uh, experience with a mister, I'd like to hear your opinions on this. So this is a channel called Tom's Toys with one subscriber. And I think he watches the show, but I'm not positive. But he did a video here using the Mr. of the Dragon 32 and the Coco 123 cores, and he points out some bugs and issues that he's hit. Um, all the demonstrations he's done here is based, based on Donkey King. And he said it does the same if you have The King, the slightly later version when they got in a bit of legal trouble with the name. Where you can go, moving left and right is just fine. You can jump just fine. You can climb up the ladder just fine. But for some reason, the joystick controls on the mister will not let you go down. So you're stuck. Like if you go up in the rivet screen, for example, if you go up to the top on one side and you come back down, you can, can't come back down on the other side to finish anything. So I'm wondering for any of you here that have actually played uh, with the mister of the Coco Cores, have you guys hit any of this or... Is this an installation problem, perhaps, or I'm not sure. I do notice the artifacting is pretty old-fashioned. And I think there's multiple cores, too, because isn't 
I think Roger Taylor does one, and there's also it's a commercial one, and then there's the uh, free ones as well. I've seen people play on the Mist or play the Coco games, and I've never heard of them ever complaining about a problem, but I've never done it myself. Okay, so I'm wondering if maybe just specific games have some quirky thing, like Photon had a problem uh, until Tim Linder figured out, you know, they were doing some really wicked fine timing on the PIA switching, which acts as the joystick you were reading. I don't know if Donkey King do anything that fancy, but now Pete Willard in the uh, Peter Willard, sorry, in the chat is saying the Mister is great. Tandy Koki emulation is not perfect, so he's kind of I guess verifying that there are some issues. But I mean, he goes in kind of a deep dive and demos what you know some of the issues are. So he mentions the artifacting is like way behind. For most current emulators, it's just the raw black, white, red, blue type thing. So and basically, the, it just goes to show you have to use real hardware. Yeah. Forget about these emulators. Go, go real hardware. Well, this is hardware. This is a Mister, right? It's an FPGA. Well, it's not real hardware, though. It's not an actual Coco. <laughs> it's, it's real hardware. It's just not real Coco hardware. <laughs> it's running an emu. It's hardware running an emulation of the Coco. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've seen a war in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott oh. Cooper says that would be a sight to see watching four people crowd around a Coco to play a game at the same time. We got to do that at, at Coco Fest. We've had a few three player ones like you can play Rampage or, or Gantlet with uh, three players, but a Gantlet 2 on a Coco 3 or a Dungeons on a Coco 1 and 2 with four people, two on joysticks, two on the keyboard simultaneously. That would be interesting to watch. I have to agree. We need to do that. Next up, David Mitchell of Davies Retro Corner on YouTube, and he's also um, active in the Dragon Group on Facebook as well. Uh, released a video of a typing game called Stunt Cycle, which is based on uh, what is the name of the arcade game? Basically, typed in motorcycle jump Yeah. Anyway, it's from a book called Sixty Programs of the Dragon Thirty Two, and uh, originally written by Paul Stanley, the Dragon Port by E.A. Jackson, and then uh, Davy typed it in, so it's actually up and running and it's uh the one where you go through the you have to adjust the speed of your bike as it's driving across these different lanes and you accelerate and decelerate and if you over jump you die if you under jump you die so you have to kind of get it at the right speed um i've seen versions of this in other mach- machines right. i've even seen other versions of this in the coco to be honest this is, the coin op. this is the coin up atari stun cycle from 1976 that's the name thank you that's the one i can I, remember i actually drew did one of these for the Coco because it was easy to do in basic. This is how I learned to get foot buffers and things. Yeah. The, the only issue I have with this one, like it plays quite quickly, which is actually quite nice, is that the um, the jumping part is just straight up like square wave. Like it's straight up, right, across, right. straight yeah. down. You got to do, do a and... gradual. Um, which I've seen some other versions on the Coco actually do do that. But I mean, this is not bad for a type in book where you're getting 60 programs for like 10 bucks or whatever. So. Yes, graphics pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's done fairly well. I don't think he's using the uh, fast get put buffers with the even bite boundary trick to speed things up. Um, I'm guessing. I didn't read it that fast as it was going by there, but uh, I also like his new animated. Please like and subscribe there. He did on a Coco. <laughs> gonna have to teach him the inverse space poke to get the green space. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, a couple of comments here. Um, Peter Willow said they argue that Mr. is real hardware emulation versus software emulation, though they just need to get the hardware right. Uh, true, I guess. Uh, Tamar Gunnison says Paul Stanley of Kiss is the one that did this game. Uh, no, it's not. Um, 60 said looks like Daredevil Dennis. I'm assuming that must be a dragon version of that same game. Uh, like I said, I've seen multiple ones in the Coco. I've seen some from, it was either Chromoset or T&D had one they published it was in basic well, too. I mean, how many people saw that arcade coin out game in 76 that went on? Yeah, there was black games? and it was a grayscale game. If I remember it's low res. Right. Too, and they it? had like color, a color plastic thing over the black yeah. and white screen. So it had tubes leading to the next level. But how many people saw that and therefore did what I did? Hey, I can do that with get put buffers and basic. Yeah. People were I, I didn't convert that one, but there were several others from that time period I did do that with. Unfortunately, I've lost them over the years. Oh, uh, Chixie's saying, nah, Daredevil Dennis was a BBC micro game. Okay. And if you want to actually uh, get it here, you can download it from his GitHub, and he's actually got the source code for basic here, so you can actually fiddle with it yourself if you want to. And, uh, you know, a screenshot. That's neat. So that'd be an interesting one for somebody who wants to try to, you know, learn how to use those even byte boundary get put buffers, which run, you know, two to three times faster than regular ones. Uh, might be able to speed the game up a bit. Might be an interesting also experiment. Also tempting to mess with it to fix up that kind of jump, the square jump. Yeah, put a little well, bit yeah, of a sine wave into we it. We have <laughs> floating point math. Yeah, we should use that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe he thought it was going to slow it down too much. And plus, I mean, it's just easier to just go straight up, straight no, across, straight down. I, I wrote this, and the time in the air, it goes too fast anyway. If you play this back, you'll see it, it jumps too fast. The oh, time okay. it takes to compute the arc a little bit. No, slow it down it, to an actual But proper. it actually makes it kind of match what it's supposed to be doing. So, yeah. <laughs> but if it does a curve, it's going, even if it goes lower, it's kind of like the slow motion of action. It, it would be cool. Yeah, like yeah. watching the $6 million man when he's supposedly running really fast and they slow him down instead because it exactly. looks more dramatic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You just need the sound effects, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny how that works, how slowing it down gives you the illusion that it's speeding up. <laughs> right. Well, to, to go off on a tangent, because we never do that on this show, um, I remember when they, the very first episode of $6 million came out, they actually did just try to speed up the film, and it just looked ridiculous. Like he was pushing uh, Rudy Wells in a wheelbarrow or something in one episode because he couldn't walk or something i can't remember and they sped up the film like four times and it just looks retarded yeah we so, ain't doing that no more <laughs> yeah so they I, I bought them like free time now you don't have to shoot as much because you know something you filmed and took like a minute to film is now three minutes of actual tv shows so you just okay. saved whack a little money too yep <laughs> okay and then uh davy did another one this one's called box driver. Now this is a standard style where you you basically have you know parameters of a road shifting back and forth and shrinking as you drive further. Yeah, basically it's just a screen scroll and you have to steer your your box in it. So this is one of those ones you can do in very few lines of code. So what you're looking at on the screen here right now, seven lines of basic and and only one or two of them are fairly long. That's the entire program. That's the entire game. Um <laughs> so it's kind of nice you know have something you can type in quick. Yeah, especially if you're trying to learn you know, how to type for the first time. So it starts fairly wide. You steer back and forth. You're steering the V. Uh, the X's are like the sides of the road. And you'll notice it gets narrower and winds around. So it's basically your standard 
basic style game like this. Some people have done these with, you know, semi-graphics and. Um, what a coincidence. <laughs> I've been working on a game similar to this lately. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's like about 10, 10 lines long. <laughs> yeah. And he's only got seven on this one. Keyboard controls. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even better. We should run a competition of uh, coding games like this at some point. Isn't there one? I think there was. Yeah, there's a few. There's the uh, 10 liner contest, which is open to multiple platforms. The one liner yes. contest, the two liner contest. Oh, no. I mean, the, the vertical scrolling, the inverse vertical scrolling thing. Not uh, not, that, not necessarily one line or 10 lines. Oh, but, specifically uh, this... vertical scrolling type games. Oh, okay. Exactly. Especially these inverted print one, which is uh, very peculiar to these machines. I think yeah. everybody did one game like this in, in one's oh, life. Oh, yeah. Right? I did multiple games like this. <laughs> um, one thing I sh should do is actually just make a little package for people that want to write, you know, low-res semi-graphics games like this uh, for the Coco is actually just release a little tiny basic ML loader that lets you actually do up, down, left, right scrolling. Mm. You know, you, just, you exec this and it'll shift it, you know, whatever direction you want type thing. And then... Uh, you know, people could write, you know, scrolling landscape games that are huge. But since the screen's only half a K, you'd have room for like dozens, even in basic. So that'd be something to do at some point. Be neat. And once again, you can get the source code here. If you have typing in seven lines, it's just too much for you. Even then you can go download the actual source listing and cheat. Uh, next up here, actually, I'll show this screen first. So uh, Fabrizio Caruso, who's uh, the person behind Crosslib, which is a cross compiler, similar to the Inafuto that we've covered from Japan, where they you know, they have this basic language they've written. I shouldn't say basic. They have a language they've written uh, that lets you, you know, generate code once and it automatically gets converted to like 40 to 200 different platforms, you know, different retro machines, uh, video game consoles old home computers, et cetera. So he's been doing Crosslib even longer than we've known about any of Fudo. And this is his seventh game he's now released on this platform. And it's called, I'm probably pronouncing this right, Shuriken. Um, and right now it's uh, built for 200 different computers and consoles using the exact same code. Uh, so this is uh, one where you don't have to do conversions between them. Um, as he says here on this post on Facebook in the 8-bit programming and engineering. So he didn't post this in the Coco group, uh, so you'll have to go hunt it down or you know get our show notes to get to it. Uh, right now, it's currently available in the Coco in cassette form only. I, he doesn't have any disc version on there, and I'm trying to remember. I think that's how he's done the other ones, too. Hopefully, he's actually programmed it in such a way that it, it will run on a disc system. You know, if, you, if not, you'll have to get the ROMEL utility or patch it yourself. Um. But basically, he's got a, uh, a video here of the VIC-20 version, and I'm going to show it. We don't normally do VIC-20 stuff here, but this is just to show you what the game play is like. I mean, basically, it'll be similar on the Coco, just, you know, different graphics. That's basically a collect dots, dodge things trying to kill you, and you have a bit of a maze to wander through. You're the blue spinning thing with the circle. You have to pick up the blue and the green diamonds. And you're getting hit there, so... And you lose green diamonds, I think, every time you get hit or something like that. I can't remember the exact rules. but And you can see there's, there's multiple mazes, and he actually has a 10-minute video demoing a bunch of the different uh, screens for it. So it's got a fair bit of variety to it. 
Here you see some other bonus things. You can pick up the white rings. So anyway, if you want to grab that game for the Coco itself, he's got it up on his uh, GitHub. And you can see all the different versions here you can actually go through. So if you have a six, oops, still playing here. Just kill this window. You guys already know what the game plays like. So if you want to play it like it on an Ace or an Atari or Atari 5200 or a Lynx or C128 or Commodore 64, the Coco, ColecoVision, CPC, there's you know quite a few different platforms ready ready to go here. But as oh, I mentioned ooh, before, ooh, you'll links. notice these are cassette images. So sorry, including Lynx, that's impressive. Yeah, he's uh, cross platform. I think he said, like he said, he's up to 200 platforms. That's even more than Inafuto oh. does. Now, the quality on each of the ports varies pretty wildly from what I've seen previously because it's got really low common denominators to hit. Um, oh. But he's, he's always trying to do something a bit more original, like he's not just cloning games. He's trying to make something a little bit you know, original when he releases them. And this is the seventh one in his series. So, I mean, there's literally seven games you can get created with this platform for the Coco. So. so that's it for the game on news, and I'll just switch right on over to the other one. Uh, you don't want your fire intro? Didn't you already do that? No. Oh. Not the news. Well, okay. Burn the, the fire intro. Let's do it. Let's do it. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay. Fire's out. I can start now. Yep, fire's out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the end of the show. Okay, so Coco Town released a couple of videos this week uh, having to do with um, video on his Coco 2. So the first one here is he's dug out his real Coco 2 because the last you know month or so of stuff he's been doing, you know, experimenting with the T1 VDG and, and, and various modes, et cetera, have all been done on emulators. So this time he actually dragged out his old Coco 2. So the first thing he discovered when he plugged it into his CRT was, oh, my God, the quality in this is crap. So... Uh, I think Rick, was it you and some others last week were given, or a few weeks ago, were giving him some suggestions uh, when he was a guest here about things they could do to improve it? And there I was know. like stuff to wrap around the cable. So and... here's my Coco moved back into the Coco. Oh, I'll lower this a bit. You can uh, talk here. Most of the stuff I used to have here. But you remember giving him advice? There was, I can't remember what those things are called, those clamping so things. Uh, you can Ferrite core. Uh, for right, exactly. The little clamp on cores and so forth to cut the AC off. Yeah. I mean, he, he experimented with several of these as he was going through here, and, and the ferrite cores did absolutely nothing to improve quality on his case. Um, going to a much more solid cable did help. You got a nice cable. Let's see that. You got to stay away from the power line. These tend to be pretty high quality cables. Much better than my CP400 cable. So there he went, you know, he bypassed the box to like the RF switch box. Oh, so he's going directly in. Yeah. 
the picture quality. And actually, that doesn't look too bad. Put this back on right? No, it looks fine. Adjustments. It was a I think he actually compares. Didn't he do a side by side here? I mean, technically, you could throw a ball in it and you would get a little bit sharper, but nobody cares nowadays. And he was trying to go through a VCR camcorder to use composite type stuff, and it actually turned out worse, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like here, it's a blurry mess. Now, part of that, I think he said, was his capture card didn't help oh, either. No. That's impossible. And here's the ferret cores. What happens when I put this around the wire and just see if and not much difference didn't seem to make a difference pretty well at all actually and then a diamond one touch video capture card so this time he upgraded his capture card itself coming from the VCR so did I and I like this part here this is this is admitting you made a mistake just for those audio listeners there, I'll just read what he put on the screen here at this point. It says, unbeknownst to me, OBS did not capture the output from the diamond card, probably because hardware acceleration was on. And then he says, just imagine that you're seeing a black and white cocoa screen here. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Alan. So it looks like he put the the RF, the ferrite core on the RCA cable rather than the RF out. Yeah, he put it on the composite, looks like. Yeah, it looked like he put it on the composite. Okay, and you're supposed to put it on what? The RF out. Yep, on the RF. Okay. Right. But by then, he also had his fancy cable on. So, yeah, yeah who, who knows? It, it, better, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then he went to an Elgato. And now, this is a little bit better. It's a bit clearer than the uh, last previous ones here. But he still gets much better. You know, going back to the original solution of that direct bit. RF bypassing the box entirely, but not going through a VCR tuner, et cetera. Well, that's just scaling. That's bad scaling there. Well, it's still better than that previous one because it's 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 not as fuzzed out. Yeah, I mean, I agree that right. the B's and the D's here look a little bit scaly. Well, yeah, and the extra wide, it's 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 just not a bad resolution conversion here from what he started. It does look like that. You're always going to get problems like that whenever you're trying to do a capture off of RF. Right. Yeah. This is definitely better than his, his first try with the original setup though, because that was yeah, when he added that when he added the cable, what we were looking at was a direct shot of this of the TV, and then it got all blurry when he tried to run it through a capture card because most modern capture cards look at right. the frequency coming out of the cocoa and say, What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> this ain't nothing to me. <laughs> kind of standard is this. <laughs> Secret, it's not. So that, that was the first video he released this week. So that was kind of cool seeing him go through the different things and actually give you some recommendations like certain capture cards definitely do make a difference compared to others. Um, you know, so don't cheap out. Um, bypassing the switch box entirely or these external tuners for VCRs and stuff actually seems to make a big difference too. Um, if you guys comment on his video here so that he knows about the uh, putting those ferrite, whatever you called them, uh, you know, on yep. certain cables, et cetera. But on RF, on that red cable, he's already got a nice looking picture, so it's like leave well enough alone. Right. Yeah. Don't 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 mess with it. He's got a nice cable. It's doing the job. So Yeah. Yeah. Good. One of the other things I've noticed is that when he went from the CRT, he went to the BS VCR, is that not all VCRs have really good tuners. So True. some of his yeah. issues could also be the tuner in the VCR. 
So, right. Old VCRs were great, but no one has an old VCR. They've got the, the end of the run when they were made for $12. All right. Yeah. Anyway, that's a pretty cool video. If you're, if you're looking at, you know, how to capture Cocoa 1 and 2 output, I mean, there's different alternatives with Cocoa 3, of course, because we have RGB and stuff, which you can actually pump it in through HDMI, et cetera, so you can actually get a really clear picture. But uh, if you're doing the older Cocoa 1 and 2s and you don't have a composite board for it, I mean, this this gives you some alternatives to try that might help you if you're doing captures or even trying to get a display on a TV, an older style, you know, tube TV. Um, Based on some of the experiments I did with uh, Ed, Snyder's, uh, Zipster's older prototype um, RGB to S-Video adapter he did. Um, I would probably go with the S S-Video, was it AC that did that? that um, the Coco DV, you mean? Or? No, not the Coco DV. There was a, a prototype board someone did with the S-Video on the 6847 instead of the composite. Was it AC that did that or someone else? I can't remember. I do. I do remember what you're talking about. Yeah, but the, I don't the Georgia remember. Georgia guy. Yeah. It was AC. It was okay. Yeah, Alan. But yeah, for capture, um, a couple of the capture units I've got are, um, the S video looks so good on them, and I would Please. go that route over composite. <laughs> well, I've seen some other ones that actually tap RGB right off the VDG chip itself. Wouldn't those even be better yet? That would probably be better, I guess. Yeah, I'm not asking. I don't know. This is all hardware stuff. I don't understand even what I'm talking about. From the CP400, from the RF output, you get a pretty good image on a tube television. And from the the, the other, the, the video output, you get a slightly better resolution, but the artifacts uh, get weared off a little bit. Uh, they, get, they, they get weakened. It weakens well, because them. TVs probably have... super, probably super video is gonna cut off a lot of those artifact colors. I guess, I suppose, right? Not, not right about that. Not sure. Well, I do remember the artifact colors is something like the the Coco Three's composite is notoriously bad because they had to like jury rig it back to get composite because basically the first version of the circuit they cleaned it up and all the artifact colors were gone. So they kind of had to hack it back and and make it worse to the artifact colors worked <laughs> again. <laughs> You're going to say something, Patrick? What was that? I was just going to say that back in the day, all those CRTs had comb filters, which really sharpened up things and kind of might have made artifacts go away a little bit. They, they were designed to fix the problem that artifacts were exploiting. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. And then the second video Coco Town released here is uh, this is using his real Coco 2 again. Now, I know when he first showed his Coco 2, and that's got to be a couple of months ago now, I noticed it was a 64K Tandy branded one. And also looking at the uh, font on the screen here, because you have a rounded O and not a square one, and the zero has a slash there. I said, I think you got the T1 VDG, like the true lowercase one. And he wanted to figure out how all this works. So he's done a lot of videos we've covered the last couple of weeks about, you know, in the emulators, basically going through and, and figure out what modes work, how the border control works, inverse video, uh, true lowercase, et cetera. Uh, some of the color differences you get between that and a regular, T, a regular VDG 
Like if you pick the orange color set for the text, the uh, colors are different between the two. The original uh, VDG would have a sort of a yellow and then a really dark red. And then if you run on a T1, it's basically just duplicating the orange and the dark red. But that special yellow extra color is gone. So he's been kind of going through and you know doing some assembly language programming for how to control these and learning how they work, etc. So this is his first time. He kind of mentioned when I mentioned this back a month and a half ago or a month ago or whatever it was, that he was going to do the final part of this series on, on going through the VDG stuff was to see if his Coco 2 actually has the true lowercase T1 VDG. So I'll just play a little bit because he's got a little demo program here and you'll see he's doing poke and HFF22 and then to the power of force, the fourth bit or the sixth bit, um, oaring them together here to uh, enable the border and the true lowercase. So I have a very simple app that I can type in some sentences and then it will print them back for me, but it will do that poke. And that should enable the lowercase and the uh, border. And for you with the older Coco 1s and 2s or even the Coco 3 by default, you recognize that the inverse video is lowercase. Here we go. <laughs> I can't mm. believe it. Oof. I can't believe I had this all along. This is crazy. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. So the funny thing is, is he didn't know about the T1 VDG back in the day. So he's had a true lowercase in his Coco 2 since 1985, 86, and had no idea until the last month or two. And uh, yeah. in, the, in the comments, I'd even mentioned, like, there were several programs written to take advantage, like OSN Level 1 Version 2 has support for true lowercase. Uh, Mikey Term and Greggy Term Terminal Programs both had support for it. If you had Version 4.7 of Mikey Term, I think it was, and a one point. Actually, I think both, all versions of GTERM supported that. So basically, as long as you knew your machine had it, you would just tell it, you know, I've got lowercase, and it would just do the, the right, you know, stored FFT2 to enable it. But this lets you do lowercase. I think even Scripted was patched for it. So that you do true lowercase in a hardware text mode, which means if you're running something that's scripted, it ran a heck of a lot faster than the graphic font version that disk scripts it used, where it's taking 6K to write 32 by 16 on the screen. And this is only half a case. So obviously everything from scrolling to typing to everything else is way faster. So I, I just liked his reaction mm. that, you know, when he actually tried it, yeah, he had this all along and had no idea. And I was going to ask the panel, for any of you that had a T1-based Coco 2 at some point, um, how long did it take you guys to find out that you uh, had it? No, I never had a T1 BDG. I, I went straight from a Coco 1 to a Coco 3, so I never, that, I never went through that. That's what I bought it for. Oh, so you knew ahead of time you were going in there yeah. and looking for it. Yeah, that was something I actually asked at Radio Shack, you know, show me how to do this. And that's what I, when I was upgrading to a uh, another 64K Coco 2, I wanted one with lowercase. I have to admit, I have no idea if my Coco 2 had true lowercase or not. Um, I had reverse video characters, but I'll, I'll have to test. But I don't. Comes up sure. in reverse video by default. To, for yeah. 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 I've never tried to get true lowercase. I'm, I'm not even sure if I still have my Coco 2. Yeah. Um, All the Coco 2s that were capable of this, I think, had the Tandy branded. Um, 
sticker logo thing on the sticker. on the middle. If it says Radio Shack, for sure you don't. Okay. Most Tandy ones did, though I have heard that some of the earliest Tandy ones did not. They were I, still the original. I think mine had a TRS-80 on it. I don't think it had Tandy on it. Okay, so you're, yeah, you wouldn't have had it then. Okay, all right. Mark Siegel, of course, says I knew immediately, but I mean, he was kind of like you know, involved <laughs> with it. So I think he had a bit of inside information. Um, <laughs> did, did anybody else on the panel have a lowercase Coco 2? And did you know about it at the time when you bought it or was it further in the future? Um, I specifically, um, when my parents got me my Coco 2 and I heard about a Coco 2 that had lowercase, Mine did not. It actually had the 6847. I had to specifically buy another Coco 2 for the lower <laughs> case. Yeah, I so, knew a couple people here that did the same thing. Um, Mind you, they, they got to take it as a trade-in because they read about it in Rainbow or whatever, and they knew what pokes to try. And uh, you know, some of them just didn't do it in the store. They just saw the Tandy logo and thought, oh, that's got to be the lowercase ones. They took it home and tried cool. it and no. So they come back and say, no, I want the lower, true lowercase one. And honestly, most of the managers had no idea that even existed. So they would actually have to do the pokes in the store. They go through, you know, machine by box by box until they found one that worked. <laughs> and they, that's the one I'm buying because they're all the same price. And, you know, most people didn't care because, you know, or they're buying Cocos for games or had no idea about lowercase. But the few that did, they had, you know, club members that wanted to get it, you know, because they're finally so upgrading cool. a Coco one with a real keyboard. And I might as well get lowercase while you're at it. Yeah. Well, my case, um, I wanted to keep my original Coco 2 uh, because, well, it was a Christmas gift for my parents. And two, I also already knew about the compatibility issues with the missing SG modes. Ah, because yeah. so. Uh, well, wait, what, what missing that, SG modes? Well, because SG 12 and 24 all work on a T1. Uh, they don't work I, right. Some of the uh, descender characters will mess up. So yeah, they shifted everything up a pixel to make room for descenders. So yeah, if you're doing mm -hmm. some of the games that try to mix characters together by scan line, then they would look wrong. It would still work, and the graphics were fine. Like the semi graphic stuff was all fine. Even the guardian yeah. mode worked fine on the T1. But yeah, you're right. The like protectors too. You know, your waving men don't quite look like waving men. And originally it was advertised that the T1 didn't have the extra modes and stuff. So it was like, no, no, we found them. They're there. They're just, yeah. Um, but I got mine for BBSing and Mikey Turn. So that's, yeah. I need a case for that. But my first Oops. Coco 2 was a regular BB. I was like, wait, they have one that has lowercase now? That's what I have to find. Yeah, Here, here's uh, just to show people the screenshot here. So he's going, I think this is Semigraphics 12 at this point. Might be 24, I can't really tell just, here. But basically, his, his real Coco 2 capture on the left is running and then on the right. And Just a little question on the okay. a little question on the, on the lower case. Uh, what was the primary use uh, or uh, the reason you guys went for the lower case? Was it a printing thing? Was it for printing? Well, it's for displaying on the screen because when you're logged into BBSs, especially in the mid '80s, pretty oh. well everybody had gone to you know you know PCs or oh, Amigas yeah. or whatever hosting BBS, so everything was mixed up or lowercase. So if you're trying to read oh, that right. on a Cocoa, it's like inverse video with capital letters, you know, <laughs> scattered throughout. It looked like a checkerboard. Um, mm -hmm. So it just it just looked a lot better. And if you're running you know uh, you know scripts it or something, you patch that or 
it was a few other programs that got patched for them as well that uh, it just looked a lot better. And then the, the full green border really made a difference because you didn't have that black box around yeah. it. So it just it looked more professional. When did the uh, true lowercase Coco 2s come out or first started coming out? Early, late 84, early 85, somewhere around there. I don't remember the exact date. That kind of varied. Yeah, it was 85 for sure, but I uh, think for some late 84. Oh, for sure. I didn't have one then. I mine came. I got mine in 83. So, Did you say before that Guardian works on the T1, the, the game Guardian? Well, I remember, yeah, because we had a couple people that uh, had it there. I mean, the score would be a little bit cut off because it would shift up the the scan lines by one because of the making room for descenders. But it was readable. All right. Actually, I wonder, does anyone know how that that extra width occurs in the Guardian on a... Sockmaster knows because he's going to explain it to me years ago. I don't remember any of it, but... In one ear, out the other, eh? Yeah, pretty much. It was almost <laughs> like listening to him explain 3D math to me. You know, just <laughs> gone. It's... <laughs> <laughs> way to get a hair fire going. <laughs> uh, Mikey mentioned in the chat, not every Tandy Coco 2 at T1VG. That's absolutely true. I think I mentioned that too. Chris Darius, I didn't know at the time, didn't even know it existed, but now that I have many Coco 2s, I have some. Uh, Mark Siegel says, Motorola gave us three different chips with different fonts to see what we like best. I did not realize that. So there were some other ones, to, other versions of that font to look at. Um. Mikey, and I'll totally agree with this one. The inverse lowercase is horrible to look at. Absolutely. <laughs> to quote Ken. Um, Mikey also mentions, uh, just be aware the T1VDG does not say MC6847T1 on the chip. It has a part number that starts with XC. I do remember that. And Mark Siegel mentions it was for, it was Christmas for the year the Deluxe got cancelled. That's 1984. And that T1 VDG was originally supposed to be in the Deluxe. That was one of its selling points. It had true lowercase built in. And in fact, um, Mikey has just pointed out, he sent me a couple of the newsletters that Frank Hogg was putting out in 84 uh, for Frank Hogg Laboratories, you know, advertising their Flex and OS9 stuff. And one thing in his rumors column that he mentioned there was basically the Deluxe Coco. You could tell because it had a built-in ACI, you know, serial port, hardware serial port chip, had the built-in lowercase and all this other stuff. So he's basically talking about the Deluxe from rumors. And um, yeah, that was mentioned there that it was part of that too. So if the Deluxe had come out, it would have been out at least half a year earlier, I'm guessing, probably about mid-84. Uh, but the sounds of it, it, it didn't come out till Christmas and they just started redoing Because they had to redo the uh, circuit board for this too. Because the one odd thing is that the T1 does not have the same pinout as the regular VDG. So you can't just like swap the chips, even though it has the same number of pins. It won't work. It pulled gotta... in some of the uh, motherboard circuits. So there's a couple of parts that went on the motherboard that got pulled into the T1. So that's part of what the okay. uh, part of what the pin change was. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of interesting to, to hear. So it sounds like everybody that we talked to here on the panel, with the exception of one person in the chat, knew what they were getting and and went specifically to go look for that model like david and alan here like you guys knew about it and, and you know if they're selling both of them side by side you want the good one for the same That's price the user group too you know when you know the the user groups were all about bbsing and modeming and whatever and when someone showed up and had lowercase everyone suddenly wanted to go how did that work I, I will admit at that time when I first saw it running, because James West was a friend of mine that got first one that I knew locally that got one of those. 
Um, one, it had the better keyboard too. It wasn't the melty one. It was the full travel uh, Radio Shack keyboard. So that was cool, but not enough for me to make give up my chiclet. When he showed me the true lowercase though on Mikey term, I was like, oh, maybe I should buy one of these. <laughs> and I was busy. I think I was buying, there was some other hardware I was buying at the time. I think I was saving up my CGP220 inkjet color printer. I said, oh, maybe I'll get one of these after I pay the printer because the printer was like 700 bucks Canadian. And by the time I bought the printer, the Coco 3 rumors were starting. I go, oh, wait. And I'm glad I did because that would have been disappointing to spend 150 bucks just to get lowercase when, you know, for an extra 60 past that, you get a Coco 3. And it had a T1 VDG in it. Emulated in it too, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> just It lost all the higher semi-graphics mode. That was the one disappointment until Sockmaster figured out that poke that you can fake the graphic part, part of it anyway. Okay, next up we have uh well I'll let Bob talk about it. It's his video. <laughs> is Bob still on the call? Well, Bob's computer is. There he is. <laughs> He's Bob? Okay. Right, so... I am here just muted. Yeah. So this is your, your latest video called Cutting the Cord. Mm-hmm. So you want to explain uh, oh, what it's about, and I'll display it in the background silently while you explain. Basically, just cord. another uh, conversion to DC, and rather than using any standard old wall ward, I wanted to use a, a PD power supply trigger and the uh, mainly the USB-C trigger, uh, the USB-C socket. That it's actually this this one right here. The one that's showing on the video right now? Um, yeah, that's the same one that's on my desk right now. Um, just basically had to cut out one little uh, pillar where the, the normally the cord wraps around just for strain relief. And if you ever want to go back, that's easy enough to just put a little, uh, like a standoff back where that plastic pillar was. Now this one here, like when you when you did it this way using this USB C connector, this actually allowed you to eliminate the transformer in the Coco as well, didn't it? Yeah, the transformer is out, and I went ahead and removed that the big power transistor and uh, heat sink just for the extra room and weight. So that this gained your room itself in the case, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean that that square that you see there is big enough. You could put some 18650 batteries in you could put a battery charging uh, controller in there i guess all i'm doing is running it straight off of dc power so theoretically i could use a a, a battery uh external battery you know that as long as it's capable of doing the at least nine volts I found out later that it'll run off of nine volts just fine. It doesn't have to be 12, but I use 12 volt PD trigger. And you had to do some slight case modifications, but really not that bad. As so you yeah, know. right where the, right where the power cord comes out, it's already a nice oval shape. So I just had to extend it about um, one or two millimeters for the USB-C uh, connector to fit right in there perfectly. Mm. Oh. Thanks. 
I kind of put a little flat uh, notch on that other pillar in the back and then that white putty. That's actually a two-part epoxy milliput. Super fine white. Uh, it's uh, pretty hard stuff. It kind of dries a little bit rock hard. And that thing is just, it's wrapped in some capped on tape. It's not really glued in, so I could pull that out if I wanted to. Cool. And this and way you can just use a standard like USB-C cable that you can pick up pretty well anywhere and mm -hmm. plug it in. It does have to be the, the 9 or 12 volt capable PD supply though. Right. That's for the, that's because of the pepper board. So you have the sensor thing hooked up so that it feeds the right voltage into the USB-C? Well, that's what that little module is that I'm putting there right there is. Oh, okay. Is, that's what that does. It says, that's okay, a trigger I need... module that, that tells the power supply it wants 12 volts. Perfect. Thank you. And so like my laptop power supply, it's PD, but it doesn't support 12 volts. It goes 9 volts or 15. So when I tried that, I didn't, I didn't realize that, but it turned on and worked. And I checked the voltage with my meter and it's nine volts. So it goes up until it reaches the next lowest voltage and then it stops. It won't go above what the trigger is rated for. But you can already see like with the stuff you got to remove using this, you know, how much, you know, MTK space it would free up on the left back side, but also it's all, that's all the heat generating stuff for the most of it anyway. Right. So yeah. imagine it runs cooler. A lot cooler and it almost makes it feel flimsy because it's about half the weight. Oh, right? Oh, put yeah. Batteries never in thought it, of that. Weigh it back down. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you don't use the battery, just put them back in it, weigh it down. Yeah. And you can't plug it in, like you can't have the cocoa on and plug it in. You back that up about 30 seconds. Yeah, because you tried turning it on. Yeah, I, I had it on and I plug it in and the color computer comes in all kind of yeah crashed yeah no you, you can't ramp up you got now with, with only having the nine volts versus the 12 uh have you noticed like if you add a multi-pack and a bunch of carts and stuff does it cause any problems or it just runs perfectly no, absolutely fine? no difference okay no, i mean oh and here's pumping one of uh pimping one of uh nick's games again <laughs> oh hang on i'm gonna see this <laughs> Sure in a multi-pack, the cartridges get their power from the multi-pack. In fact, that's right, too. So if you did yeah. a Y cable, I wonder if that would drain too much. Well, no, what's going to happen is it's going to suck more board. power. It's just going to ask for more and more amps to make up oh, okay. for the loss yeah. of... It's more of an amperage versus a voltage and, problem. Then. And right, and, and as yeah. long as you can deliver it, you're good. Pedro's okay. pepper board is good for like up to three amps. And the cocoa is only drawing a little over half an amp. It's, it's a pretty elegant solution. Like you had, did it, like I said, you did have to modify the case. You had to cut one of the posts yeah. a little bit short, and you had to, you know, sort of sand out almost the uh, little slot, but not much. I mean, it's you didn't have to modify the case that much if you had to go revert back for right. some reason. No I don't think know. it would look too much different. Right. You have to really look. Yeah, there's just a slight gap above the power cord. I actually have that one back in its original uh, on its original corded cocoa and this one got its original lid back so i have two modified lids for one modified cocoa 
I'll modify the other one next. Actually, I'm going to do the Coco 2 that I started this whole video based on. Okay, so look forward to that as a supplementary video coming up. Yeah. Cool. No, I thought that was a pretty cool project. And uh, like I said, those are easy mm -hmm. to find and, and buy nowadays, whereas, you know, trying to get a transformer yeah. or something that would be more expensive and harder to find. Yeah, and a PD supply, they're about 20, 25 bucks for an inexpensive one, or you can spend a lot more. <laughs> you can always spend a lot more. <laughs> hey, cool. Thanks for putting that video up there, Bob. And they have dual output ones too. So you can have like a five volt device and a 12 volt or whatever. I wonder what could fit in that uh, power, power supply space that is mm -hmm. now empty. SD card reader. <laughs> yes, that could be used it there. It's on the side of the computer, so. Uh... I mean, Bob's actually fit a three and a half inch drive in the bottom of the case before on one of his previous videos, too. That's a bit more mm -hmm. of a hack job, though, in the case. Yeah, I had to cut out all of that support. That cool. Still going. That's a fun okay, next, mod. this... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, just saying that's a fun mod. Well, yeah, yeah, I like it. Next up, we have uh, Michael Furman, who's in the chat right now, being modest, as you can tell by the title on his uh, video here. Um, <laughs> I'll play the intro of it and then uh, explain a tiny bit about it. I, th I think quite a few of actually, you here on the panel have already taken a look at it, but... Audio. Oh, yeah. Isn't also Sprack old enough it's PD by now? <laughs> Who knows? It's classical, so it's got to be, right? Oh. I'll unmute it. It's a 2001 Space Odyssey theme, but that it was an old one before 2001 came out. So it's basically a promotion and kind of an explanation. He did a quick promo video earlier, but this is the full one that kind of explains everything. So it's Coco SDC Commander. And it's one program uh, written in C, I believe. But basically, it runs under four operating systems on the Coco. So it runs under DiskBasic. It runs under OS9. It runs under Fusix. And it runs under Flex. And it all gives you access to your SD card through the Coco SDC. So you can mount disk images and go through directories. And it's using a common... Uh, interface between all four operating systems too with a couple minor changes. I think one of the operating systems you couldn't use shift keys or something so you had to, you had to change the key assignments a little bit. Um, it also I think it considers things drives one and two when you're switching the drives but it, it actually the SDC internally calls it zero and one which is how he labels it. Um, actually he should be on the darn call. He could explain this a lot better than I could <laughs> hint hint Mikey since I see you're still in the chat. And he does say the recording is Creative Commons. So, yeah, I was right. It's it's old enough. It's uh... Yeah, and you know what? Thinking about it, one of our commercials has that theme in it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a David so, Lad one. <laughs> so it looks like I actually have to queued up the uh, original one, uh, the original promo for it. So the, the full episode he does a little bit later actually goes through how he got it working, what the purpose of it is, which is to have a common interface between all four operating systems. So once you learn how to use one, 
you can switch operating systems and it's exactly the same. So you can start mounting disks. And he mentions that this entire project was started because one of the reasons he was getting Flex going, he's been doing this whole series on Flex, is you can try all the software because Flex actually was, you know, in 82, 83, was pretty robust on what it all had available. There was hundreds of programs, lots of business stuff, a lot of programming languages, everything from COBOL to Fortran to Forth to various versions of C, various versions of BASIC, fully compiled BASIC, Pascal, several versions of Pascal. There was, um, you know, the original versions of like DynaCalc and DynaStar and DynaSpell and all this other stuff all came out, you know, on Flex. And basically, because there was no SDC support directly under uh, Flex as it was, there's not an easy way if you have a Cocoa SDC to swap your disk as to what program you're running. You boot Flex, you might mount the second drive as you know one program. What happens if you want to switch to something totally different requires another disk? And there's no way within Flex to do it. So the whole point of Cocoa SDC Commander is to allow Flex to go in and start grabbing and changing which drive images you currently have mounted while you're running. And he said, what the heck? Yeah, Mikey says, uh, I had the wrong video queued. You're right. That was probably from my original one before the second one was released. <clears throat> but basically, this solved the problem. So now he can actually start going through all the other software that Flex supports, like the various, you know, like I mentioned, languages and business software and all kinds of stuff. Um, but now you can actually monitor from within. And the, then he kind of thought, well, why don't I make this utility universal between everything? And uh, adding Fusic support, so now you can switch with that too. And it's you know once you're familiar with the interface in one, you're familiar with the face of them all. So uh, the big claim to fame here, besides getting Flex to actually talk to the Coco SDC properly, is that this is one of the first, if not only, program that is actually meant for all four major OSs on the Coco. That uh, the one program will work on all of them. So he's going to be doing follow-up videos now of all kinds of Flex software that you'll be able to see. One uh, program to rule them all. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, this is cool. And for the programmers out there, if you look at the README in his GitHub, he actually detailed out the steps that were different on each OS to get to the same result. So okay. he's got a roadmap of how you can do this same kind of idea, which that's would nice. be extremely helpful. Yeah, so here he's showing it under Disk Basic. This is what the Disk Basic one looks like. And he's using a graphical font, a 51 by 24, I think he fits on a Cocoa 1 and 2 screen. Uh, common, except for the Nitro 9 version. I think the Fusix version has to run 80 column or 40 column. So I can't remember off the top of my head. But, but he's trying to make the screen loud and the keys you know, very similar between all of them. So you just learn it once, you're done. I don't think he demonstrated all of them here. Yeah, here's the Flex version. Waiting for YouTube. And he's actually talking right now. I just have muted. Because he might copyright strike me too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, Curtis, when has that ever happened? <laughs> that Let's be not get into that, David. <laughs> that's how he finally stops the news. I, I think I see he still has to patch the clock though, because it still says that it's the year 19,123. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out the other day you can put our 97 into a nitrous. Oh, can you? In the date. Yeah. Yeah. You can put any oh, hour you want. That. Yeah. Any two digit hour you want. It'll take it. Set time. We'll report it back. It's cool. <laughs> 
That's so you can use it on different planets of the solar system in your space. Ah, I was a fool, <laughs> of course. Yeah, you can take, you know, if you're living on Mars and you're running your flex machine there or OSI machine. Um, trying to remember. And then he goes into like, 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 like uh, Alan was mentioning, he goes into the technical detail of how it was programmed and how you had to figure everything out. The fact that it's doing a sort of a terminal emulation internally, going through the code. Now, I will mention, actually, if you go to his GitHub, you can actually grab all the code, plus the documentation, etc. So you can actually figure out how he did it in case you want to do something similar or you need some of the SDC routines for another OS for the code. Because we had a few other ones, too, that uh, are a bit more rare, but, you know, we're out there. Need a multi-view version. I will be working on that. In the future, I've already got some plans for that. So yeah, thanks, Mikey, for uh, creating that. It's uh, definitely going to open up Flex because I mean, the one problem with the Flex before you finally got the Flex boot working properly, and you can actually create your own discs. But with the Coco STC, as far as you know, disc images you can mount, you can only mount two at a time um, locally from the SD card. You could mount a couple more, I guess, off DriveWire and keep swapping images through there. But I'd you'd pretty well need to write a drive wire driver, I think, for Flex, too, so you're back to square one. So <clears throat> having this where the Cocoa STC can just run natively as it's supposed to and just, you know, swap the images as you're running. So I want to run Dynastar next. Now I want to run the Esther thing. Now I want to run, you know, the Tiny C compiler or whatever else you want to, you know, try out, out of the hundreds of programs that Flex had. Uh, that entire library now will open up to you. And uh, Mikey plans from the sounds of it, correct me if I'm wrong, Mikey, uh, Plans and going through and producing videos of a lot of its other software so that people kind of know what 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 is available and what what they may want to try. Yeah, I sent him one to consider, which is the 6502 to 6809 translator, because that runs under Flex. Yeah, plus they didn't they have the Krasm B, which is a cross assembler that worked on like eight or nine CPUs, like 6800, 6801, 6803, 6805, 6809, 6502, Z80, uh a few others in there too. 1802. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to explore. Yeah. So, big thanks to Mikey for that. Go download it today. Because it's the greatest program ever written, as you saw on the, you know his trailer there. So Most epic. Yeah. Most epic. <laughs> okay, continuing on. Uh, Jamie Cho is working on a transpiler. This is a program that will convert color basic programs to basic 09. So if you want to convert a program from disk basic to um, OS 9 or Nitrous 9 without having to run uh, RSB, uh, this will actually convert the code over to native basic 09 format. Now, this is very much a work in progress. Uh, currently, he does most of the original color basic is working. Some of extended basic are working. He's going to be adding disk basic and Cocoa 3 basic as well, but that hasn't happened yet. And this does not run locally on a Cocoa. This runs, you know, on a, on a modern platform. And well, basically, you just pump it, you know, here's a disk basic program or an extended basic program or whatever that you want converted. And it'll run through and then transcode it into basic 9 statements that you can then load into basic 9 on, on level 1 or level 2. And uh, this will make porting a lot of stuff. Now, how perfect this is going to be, because there's some differences that are a bit more fundamental rather than just, you know, how it's done type thing. So um, 
I'm looking forward to seeing this in action. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. I don't know if anybody in the panel has had a chance to try it yet. He just announced it uh, five days ago, I guess it was. Um, has anybody in the panel, just out of curiosity, had a chance to try this? Or even look at it? But it's written in Python and um, looks imminently hackable. So, fun. Okay. Because if you can get it working with some of the graphics commands and stuff, then I, I could see, you know, people converting some program they typed in from Rainbow, like some old game or something like that, and get it, you know, most of the translation done straight to basic nine. You might have to tweak it a little bit. Um, and then you get the speed advantage. Um, so you might be able to actually, you know, translate some games without having to manually do it. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in that, too, because there's a couple pretty good, decent extended basic or super extended basic games, et cetera, from Rainbow when color computer magazine stuff from back in the day that uh, I don't feel like retyping it and refactoring it to run on basic online, but if it can do it for me, I'm all for that. I'm lazy. Well, if anything, <clears throat> like other transpilers, it can at least do the heavy lift. And yeah, you still have to tweak it. but 5% there, and the rest of the tweaks may or may not be all that hard. Yeah. That's not like you trans coding or transpiling between different platforms. I mean, the graphics are still going to be the same. So the compatibility for that kind of stuff will be, you know, much closer than say converting an Apple II basic program to a Kogo. Um, you know, just going from basic to basic nine, because I mean the, the graphics commands, I mean, you, you have to run GFX two or whatever. Uh, but you know, doing an H screen command is just a display sequence for an OWN OW set and you know, line would just become a line command. You know, it, it, that would translate pretty well dead on. So I'm hoping there's not actually going to be, you know, too much you have to. Obviously you'll probably want to go through and optimize like a four next loop if it can run with an integer variable, then change it, you know, afterwards because it'd be much faster. But it would still run with floating point. So this is I'm very curious on uh, it's a little too early for me to you know delve into it because it's only doing most of color basic and some extended no disc or super extend at this point. It's it's a little too early for me to get right into trying it, but uh I'm definitely going to be monitoring his project. And if it gets up to the point where it's actually handling that kind of stuff, then I will give it a shot. Because, yeah, basic to basic 09 is believable. The other way, not so much. But, uh, yeah, this could very well work well. Yeah. Because you could always in optimize it. Like you say, get rid of the real math here and there. And you could optimize it, but it will work right away, most likely. And then you can decide what to do from there. So. Yep. And then you can get your risk version game that you didn't extend to basic convert over to basic nine. Right. Right. <laughs> Without having to do all the work. <laughs> 10K of draw statements. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, next up, we got a uh, several dragon stories here. So the first one here is Julian Brown. He has the first batch of boards uh, for his duplication of the Dragon 32. And this is revision 2.1. So he's been, you know, over the last couple of months, he's been, you know, revising it. And he's actually got the first batch that he's actually going to be selling, or at least, you know, offering to sell. And 17 pounds each plus postage. First come, first serve. I don't know. This was written five days ago. So I don't know if he still has any in stock. Um, and he's doing some tweaks. He's playing and doing a, a revision of the board that's going to have some extras built into it too. But this is the one that kind of duplicates the original. So if you you know come across a Dragon Thirty Two, the motherboard got cracked or something, then you can probably get this, swap all the chips and stuff over, and you should have a working Dragon. So it's it's good to see that the project's actually fully up and running now, and people can actually order the board. So thank you, Julian. That sure is pretty. Yeah. 
Okay, next up after that, uh, John Whitworth put up, uh, well, he put up a couple of demo videos. This is one that probably shows it the best. This is a super RGB module for the Dragon. And I should mention he's from Dragon Plus Electronics if you go on his uh, website. Um, the super RGB module basically takes the, uh, you plug it into the VDG socket and it converts it to a true RGB signal for output so you can get nice crystal clear video like you're seeing here. Uh, but this is a new version of it that actually works with the T1 VDG we've just been talking about because the pinouts are different. So now he's got versions for both the regular you know, VDG and the T1 lowercase VDG. So he just has a quick little demo program here. So he goes through these cycles through the different color sets, the uh, border control, reverse video control, and the uh, true lowercase control, um, all using this RGB output board. So there's some, um, for you have a dragon and you want to get that kind of stuff working. Um, now you have options for both the T1 VDG and the rear VDG. So that's awesome. And my last story for today is Richard Kelly. Um, we mentioned him, I think it was last week or the week before, that he got his maze creator uh, for the Cocoa 1 and 2 and 3. And there's different versions of the program that it comes with for doing like H-Screen 2 graphics or doing low res, like set reset style or P-Mode graphics and in between uh, for creating uh, randomized solvable mazes. And uh, you can actually have the computer solve it too. Or you can rip the routines out from there and, and use it in your own games if you want to create a maze. And uh, this here is the VDK version for the Dragon. So now he's released it for the Dragon 32. And I'm assuming it works fine on the Dragon 64. And all the different versions, the text version, the low-res graphics, and the you know, P-Mode 4 style graphics is all included on the VDK image. So you get all of them. So that is available, I think, on both the Dragon group and the Coco group on Facebook. I'm assuming this will be up on the archive at some point as well soon. And maybe even on the World of Dragon archive if he hasn't uploaded there already. And uh, Richard, if you don't have access to that, uh, just let me know and I can upload it uh, directly to their forms uh, on your behalf if you want me to. So anyway, the Dragon's got some new software to play with there too. So, And that's the end of the news for this week. Thank you, Curtis. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, lots of new toys this week. <clears throat> yep. How dare you interrupt nap time? Lots of T1 stuff happening, too, which is kind of cool. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By the way, I should probably mention that uh, I probably need to get off the call at this time. Uh, so uh, yeah, nice so do the back. rest of us. Yeah. yeah I think we're pretty well done do. the show. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Good timing. <laughs> well, maybe I'll hang out for the outro then. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was everything I had on my list. So I think we are ready for the outro. What do you think? All I right. Think roll the outro. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over.
join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, okay, so what's, Fred, you can what's leave up now. Coming? So, uh, so our rehearsal's over, and now we're going to start the real show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, so, food uh, is calling me. Uh, Bye, everybody. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Push the button, Frank. Frank.